happening again welcome to the new flesh podcast a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror horror movies and the horror lifestyle which this week includes making scream aka five cream aka scream five the number one movie in america dethroning spider-man which has been number one for what four weeks six years yeah it's been six long years (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's true uh spider-man no way home dethroned officially by scream at the box office it overperformed most people's tracking except for one certain guy named brett arnold at brett redacted on twitter as host <laughs> this new <laughs> podcast Lou, scott Mendelson has got to move over he's gonna cede his crown to you just as, as spider-man seeds to Ghostface. you must replace Mendelson. I literally tweeted at him when he was posting it. I'm like, dude, look at it. I called this exactly. Can I be your apprentice? (laughs) (laughs) Teach me. I have so much to teach you. He was like, yeah, I mean, I have like shit you could do on Forbes.com if that's what you mean for no pay. Um, But this is, of course, I already mentioned uh, the podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror. So, of course, Scream. It's back. It's 2022. It's been... It's been 11 years. <laughs> God, that was dangerous. You really thought you were going to go for it. Uh, that voice you hear is Louis Peitzman, who has returned yet again. He is our most frequent guest and our most winningest, even though there's no games on this podcast. I'm calling Louis our most winningest. Some sort of contest at play. <laughs> yes. Um, Louis is back. Louis was here for Scream 1... No, Scream two, 2 and 4. Yeah, okay. So Lewis was here for Scream 2. We heard about uh, about Scream 4. And now we're back with Scream, which is actually a perfect title. And we'll get into that later. Uh, before we get into Scream, which will be the bulk of this episode, and I don't know how long it's going to be, but I know we all have things to say. It's all very exciting. If you listen to the Patreon episode on the 355, which I'm sure people were like, batting down the hatches to fucking get that episode in their ears. The the seven to eight people that saw it theatrically really wanted to hear what Jesse and I thought about it. And we had seen Scream by the time we recorded it, so I let let loose how I felt about it on there. But I'm I'm playing coy now because it's uh it's so soon. You're already here. Um and if they don't uh, you know, I said it, it is happening again at the beginning, referring to this podcast and also Scream. If someone doesn't say that, it's not a Scream sequel. I'm pretty sure it's in every single one. Uh, I rewatched them. I watched Scream 5, and then I rewatched all of them, and then I watched Scream 5 again. So I feel very... <laughs> docket for tomorrow, rewatching Scream 1 through 5. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to keep repeating until a new movie opens in theaters, because all we've got Scream <laughs> until um, Jackass Forever in like three weeks. <laughs> That's all we got. Are you going to uh, rewatch all the jackasses or is that just like already on rotation? I mean, I definitely could tell you every bit of every movie. I've seen them so many times, but I am definitely taking the opportunity to rewatch them. Although I don't want to, I don't know if I can say this. Maybe I'll edit it out if my buddy tells me I can't. Uh, but I have, I have gotten word from a bird, a birdie, a little birdie that the entire series will be playing in a retrospective at the museum of moving image. 
in Astoria ahead of the Jackass Forever premiere on the 4th. So I'm I'm saving my rewatch for hopefully in a theater with a bunch of people, which will be delightful because Jackass movies, it sounds weird that like those movies are like, you got to see them in a theater because it's not like they're cutting edge tech, like they look <laughs> nice or anything. It's all about the communal theatrical experience and they are second to none, in my opinion. Maybe second to Scream, but I don't know. Uh, Jesse looks like he was about to agree with me, so let's. Yeah, let no, it- I, I, it's, it's, it makes as even though it's a TV show, it makes perfect sense because, like, otherwise you're just watching. Otherwise, it's just mostly just watching a long TV show, and not because they're not good, uh, and they can do obviously There's no I, plot. Like, I mean, there yeah, are. A yeah. Spinoffs that try to have a plot, it's, like it's the scene plot. in the theater that is that makes it different from the show, which is so. I yeah, I agree. It's it's very yeah. clearly a, a theater experience. Like I, I think they've been holding holding this for so long because they could release it on demand cheaply and make a bunch of money, but it's not really the same. It doesn't make it doesn't. It's not the same deal to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled at the I am glad they held it and it's coming out and I think it will do very well. Just like I thought scream was going to do well it had all the signs you're, now you're just on a you're on a you're <laughs> i'm a box you're every, you're every, <laughs> you're i'm gonna go on this streak you're gonna hope you don't bet start betting real money and then <laughs> oh dude this, this is coinciding with sports betting being legal in new york this is a horrible timing <laughs> is that is that why i had to get i had to block like 25 different accounts that were promoting yes. betting yeah. shit on my timeline guy I I accepted some of those ads into my life and made I'm I've, I've used a couple because the, the day one like last Saturday when it was like the first day of it they all had ridiculous bets like basically free money so I made like two hundred bucks in free promo money then I just took out and that's so I think it's great but um, <laughs> as soon as I start actually doing it and losing money I will have to call the hotline <laughs> and, <laughs> because I get really teeth chattery. When I start gambling, it's horrible. I see why it is an addiction that people have, and it's pretty horrible that we're just now making it legal everywhere. But hey, what a world. Um, before we get to Scream, there, there's actually a lot of horror news, so let's just get into it. The first bit of horror news is that Venom Let There Be Carnage is back in theaters this we- this weekend and presumably through the week because if you were Sony, why wouldn't you when the theaters are barren with nothing but your Spider-Man movie that's making all the money, why wouldn't you throw Venom back in theaters, even though it's on Blu-ray, on 4K, and on demand? Uh, it's 16th pro- Smash Weekend. It is back in more theaters. Because it never left. It actually didn't stop playing yet. Um, so in the, if you look at like the numbers.com box office charts, mo- you know, the longest running stuff there is like eight, nine weeks at this point. Yeah. And uh, but the except for Venom, which is sixteen. Yeah, sixteen weeks. It made eighty thousand this weekend, which was uh, number what, like nine or something, nine ten. Like there's number eleven at the box office this weekend. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife still hanging in there. Made almost another. Did they, did they like add? Did they put it in more theaters or they, they just have. like? Yeah, yeah. they like, put it back out to a thousand, a thousand plus theaters. It oddly doesn't have the number that it imp- like that it gained because it shows how many other theaters law lo- uh things lost uh-huh. uh, but it doesn't have the data for that but i found it funny that uh, i just i didn't know until i saw like a tweet being like venom is back on the big screen but you're right it kind of never left um that's not really news i'm just joshing you but i guess if you never saw venom go check it out 
I think it's terrible. You can listen to an episode where we talk about the merits of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. But I got to say, at least they knew to make it like 90 minutes with credits, I'm pretty sure. And that's we got to respect that. Um, Prime Video has opted not to order a second season of I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, the TV show that I'm sure everybody watched. Right, Lewis? <laughs> I lost the mute button. Sorry, I was trying to be polite, and then I, I couldn't find it. I, I, I didn't watch it. No. Yeah, me neither. And like, I feel like uh, there's the the commenters on the Deadline article are really torn about whether the well, show I, is good or really bad. I I mean, it seemed bad, and like everyone I know who was like, "You got to watch it," was like, "It's not like it's good, but like you got to watch it." And I was like, "Okay, well, I watch a lot of crap, so like I don't know if I need to watch more crap, and I don't have any attachment to that." There's series. no shortage of crap. We can. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I think it was like trying some weird things. It definitely was like queer, and there was full frontal male nudity, so like that's nice. But I, yeah. I don't know that I, you know, Lewis I, knows all the important it. things about the show. Well, that's what everyone was talking about. They're like, oh, you know, you think you that's know. Funny. I hadn't even but... seen a single modicum of discourse about that movie. The sh- the show. The show. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Well, the, well, there were there was the first ad where they were all covered in honey. Oh, that's right. I did see that, and people and were looks, tweeting that around. It pornographic. That was the whole thing. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, written by Sarah Goodman. The series has the same premise as the book and the 1997 slasher. You know, teens are stalked by a killer a year after a fatal accident. But yeah, that's definitely a post-screen movie that, you know, it, it did well enough to get a sequel and now this fucking you know i'm pretty sure it got a third straight to video one didn't it yeah uh yeah i don't know it, i don't have much affection for it i haven't rewatched them in a while um i think it'd be a fun rewatch project to watch the the, the movies and the Would show i don't know <laughs> maybe watch. that's a good point we'll, we'll 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 check back in on that um probably the coolest news of the week is that the director of the biggest movie in the world, a.k.a. John Watts, the director of Spider-Man No Way Home, I believe it's called. Those fucking titles are terrible, and I don't like that they're all so interchangeable. Uh, but John Watts directed Cop Car was like his indie movie that got him the role. Yeah, yeah. And uh, didn't he do that clown horror movie also? He, he has an interesting resume. Uh, but anyway, confirmed to be living the horror lifestyle this week. Because he will be producing the new Final Destination movie, which, um, what's his name? Jeffrey Reddick, series creator and friend of the show, past guest. He, at some point, was tweeting about you know the fact that this existed and they were working on it, but we hadn't known anything about it. So now we know that it's based on a treatment by John Watts, Laurie Evans-Taylor, and Guy Busick, who wrote Scream 2022, are writing the new take which is pretty exciting based on, spoiler alert, how much I love Scream. <laughs> um, oh, no, you're giving it all away. <laughs> I'm giving it all away because I have to let the people know that they can be a little excited about Final Destination. But what I will say that's not as exciting is that it's going to be another one of these straight-to-streaming things. It's an HBO Max uh, debut, which to me means it's not going to get a theatrical release at all, which, you know... Does that make these like v- akin to VOD releases? That's a good question. What do you think, Jesse? Um, it's I mean it's it's like fancy VOD. It's definitely a different thing because it's like 
it's not like those Bruce Willis movies where he's in it for 10 minutes, sitting in a chair or whatever, looking, you know, waiting for, yeah. waiting for his lunch to but be like, served. We have but, a new Hellraiser coming. We have a new um, Final Destination coming. And there's uh, there's so many. There's, another, there's a couple more. Our Predator. Those are all yeah, movies oh, that, to me, yeah. I would love to see in theaters yeah, that are all just, like, streaming things now. And it does seem... It cheapens it a little to me. Not a lot. I don't know. I'm but like, it feels like you have to kind of like take it in the context of our current moment. Like, I don't think it's fair to compare it to like, you know, VOD releases because they just were being cheap and didn't want to, you know, risk it on theaters. Like, I think it's a little bit more complicated than, than that. Yeah. Um, but I do agree with you that it should have a theatrical release. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's you know, I, I would say the kind of, positive flip side is that or still bummer that you don't get to see in the theater but like it, and these movies were also cheap but like we look at those chucky movies those last couple that were direct to video that were lower budget and i'm sure these movies that are going direct to hulu or whatever are lower budget than a theatrical release would probably be um lower budget but not lower amounts of care you know someone like like dom Mancini was making those and like wanted to make good ones and i assume that's probably the case with these and that which not to not to disparage anyone who makes directed dvd movies but you know or direct to streaming whatever um i'm sure they also have have it in their head that they can make something good but like it seems like the intent is more to make something like high quality uh, but it is a bummer for those of us who I just want to see the fucking Predator movie in the big in the movie theaters or Batgirl for that matter. I understand the general like we'll just put it on streaming and get subscribers for a lot of movies, but as Scream proved to the box office for like the how many times I think I talked about this ex this exact thing last week where I'm like horror always gets underestimated and then does a little better than it was supposed to. And every article is like, horror, is it back? And it's like, it never, again, it never left. It's always going to be that way. And don't you think like a Final Destination movie would crush at the box office if it no. were marketed well? No? <laughs> no. I don't know. Final, you know, Final Destination is not, is not Scream or Halloween. Like, I don't think that like, I feel like I'm constantly talking about how great those movies are. And people are like, really? I, I don't remember anything past the first or second. Yeah. Movie. Again, I guess this is like a, I'm in my own bubble thing. Cause that's well, the, the, the later me too. Every, 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 whatever they came out. Some of those did pretty well. Like some of the later ones, I mean, did pretty well box office wise. Uh, like I feel yeah. like, like surprisingly. I also, I mean, I, I love all of them. I need to revisit them. Uh, I liked how the last one ended with a, surprise prequel twist yes, yes. um yes. but i i do that think one. that i don't know i don't know if it has quite the name recognition that i would count on it being a big hit and like i was very wrong about scream which i am copping to i i underestimated yeah. it by a lot but that's not because i just thought like well once we saw movie. it i think we both changed our tune a little we were like this well, is good and we'll do better than it we wasn't thought. yeah i mean yeah but still that's not so much the opening weekend for me like that's more i would have assumed word of mouth would have been great and it would have like picked up steam but i'm i am impressed and surprised by how well it did opening weekend but i think that like it's just like a weird time for movies as we keep saying and i don't really trust people to turn out for most things i feel like scream being like an iconic franchise has a lot more pull than final destination even though it is also a well-known franchise. It doesn't seem like it has the same sort of cachet. And I think like, I don't know. The other thing that I will say in terms of like why I wish they would put uh scream on, on a whatever streaming service, Paramount, what, what would it be? Plus. It would be Paramount plus. And I'm assuming yeah. it's coming in what? 45 days. Is that the I way? I would like it now because um, <laughs> I forget who was on Twitter that pointed out that like 
Halloween Kills did extremely well, even though it was on both. Yeah. So like maybe we should just like try that option. And I don't know. I kind of like bums me out. I think with Scream because like. I do think going to the movie theaters is pretty safe and I do it. It's like one of the few things I do, but I also understand if you're high risk, not wanting to do that right now, especially on a busy opening weekend. And it's like scream is doing the same thing. Spider-Man did where like all the ads are like, you better see it because spoilers are coming. Like, you know, <laughs> you're spoiled. And it's like, it sort of sucks for people who genuinely don't feel safe going to the movies right now. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. want to spoil them, but I do want to tweet about very specific things that happen in scream. <laughs> So you'll have to settle for talking about it on this podcast. Yeah. The, it's, it, it did suck that the ads were like, we are going to start spoiling this movie <laughs> in eight days. We will. Yeah. Start. yeah we're going to like They're holding a gun to like the spoilers, you know, uh, very silly. Uh, so Spider-Man director, John Watts's final destination, HBO max. We're at odds over the, div- I don't know. I think, you know, a lot can change. Maybe, they'll decide to try these out in theaters. I feel like Nicole Kidman broke down the barrier at AMC because now the, the being the Ricardos was the first time they showed a movie at an AMC that was also on a streamer. Well, like, that, oh, that movie had a couple like it, it had uh, it's true that they did that and haven't worked out a deal for any of the Netflixes, but that movie did have a, an exclusivity window. Um, like like a theatrical window yeah yeah like it wasn't it was in theaters only for a couple weeks as as are some of the netflix having seen that movie on on my television i can't imagine (laughs) needing to see it in the theater i did see it in the theater which is hilarious to me because like it is the stupidest thing to go see i mean it was it was fine but i also was like why would anyone want to see this on the big screen why did they have fake caulking heads that were playing real people it just was so was just so contrived from the beginning. Um, by the way, Jesse was right. The most recent Final Destination movie, which was 2009, worldwide gross $187 million, which is about mm, $30 million more than the, mo- the, the, la- the other previous high one. Which well, is- the uh, the f- the fifth one did worse in the U.S. than any of them. It was they have yeah. a very scream like trajectory in miniature. Actually, if you if you want to do the David Pullen style weird box office nerd, uh, yeah. the first one opened kind of average and then but legged out as they say to a very good gross like fifty. Yeah, and then this the second and third opened to much bigger. And but kind of came out with the same amount, which is basically the same thing that happened with Scream Two and Three. Bigger openings, similar final gross, three even a little bit less. And then the fourth one, like the fourth, the fifth Mile Less Nation, like the fourth Scream, opened a little lackluster and then fell off much harder. And actually, I think they made almost identical amounts in the U.S. So if that pattern holds, <laughs> the next Final Destination will be the big. It would be the biggest opener. I don't think that would happen, really. But it is interesting how they it has that like the horror thing of like the first one isn't the highest grossing, but it is the one that clearly had like buzz and word of mouth in the way that none of the other ones, of course, would since then. Well, the first one was such like a I don't know. Want to use the, I don't know lightning in a bottle? Like what am I trying to say? Like that movie was like a new horror concept, and like yeah. that's yeah. so rare. And then like it became. Okay, this is the movie you go to every what is it, two years or every three years that there's going to be a new opening scene, just like Scream. I guess you're right. Where it's well, like, but it's, also, but it's also like that's like you know Saw or Escape Room. Yeah, like they're all the same. You know, yeah. They all have like there's sort of these like concepts that you you kind of stretch. And I think like Found Destination, while I love all of them, like 
the Rube Goldberg shit gets increasingly absurd as you get like you know farther into it, where you're like, there's you know, gotta be a twist to the new one, right? Like, there's gotta be some new. Pen. I don't know. All all I know is that the title for the fifth one was Five Final Destination. It looked like Anal Destination, <laughs> and the fact yeah, that we actually, like, you know, that's why we we all wanted Five Cream. I want to correct myself here because the listing on numbers had the final destination, which is actually the fourth one listed last. So I thought that was the most recent one. The most recent one was actually five. No, no that's not true. Yes, it is. The most recent one was yeah. five in 2011. Yeah. Um, and that one grossed 155. I think four is the worst. Four <laughs> is, I, I agree. It is. I it mean, quality-wise. I don't mean yes. gross-wise. I think four is the worst one. Yeah, no, 100%. You are, you are is, completely correct is, about that. Is that the 3D one? The big 3D one? Or yeah, that- I think so. That's yeah. the one that copied that Chuck Palahniuk story, right? Which there's, one? The there's like, one of them, but like... What? I'm thinking every time I hear of some a Chuck Palahniuk story, I think of the opening one of Haunted. Is it where someone gets their like innards sucked out? Yeah, they they, they did that in the Final Destination movie. It was like shamelessly ripped off from yes. Yes. the Chuck Palahniuk story, where someone dies getting their inside sucked out by a, a pool drain That's right. um, through their ass. Yeah. Anyway, I think I believe that was the Final Destination that did that. Yeah, that's, it is the worst one. It's weird because it's by. David Ellis, who made the second one, which is great fun, and he made some other fun movies like Cellular and Snakes on a Plane. But I think he came back for the fourth one, and it just I, hate I don't know. Snakes man. on a Plane. I mean, it's not it's not very good, but like it's it's what a weird moment that was for <laughs> internet culture. And it was, like, it was that like the movie didn't do well, like super well. No, 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 it didn't do especially like well, it but. was. I remember thinking that movie was I like probably if Twitter existed, I probably tweeted snakes on a plane tonight it's gonna break all the records like, yeah yeah no i made t-shirts for my friends we like went opening yeah. night people were in the in times square when the snakes were, were starting to come out people collectively just started going like yeah. repeatedly yeah. through the movie yeah uh, yeah when it was really fun but i do just, feel like it's movie. it was one of the it was one of the first moments where it became clear one how much influence the internet could have on movies and two yep. that the internet is not real life because yes. yeah, it yes. seemed like a huge phenomenon actually do not matter to most people yes that was definitely the lesson there like it was the, the you could definitely find tracking and like articles for months leading up to that movie being like how big like it's going to be huge look at the, the uh, internet shaped shaped the movie there was a, i'm pretty sure a contest for the song which was by cobra starship i love that song that's that's the best part of the movie oh, for Jesus me it is. uh joe avella former host of the new flesh podcast and i did an escape room and we ended up in the escape room with the chick from cobra starship <laughs> Which is the weirdest, funniest story. Um, All right. Moving on. There was so much news this week, and we just spent so much time talking about all this bullshit. But I love it. This is why we're here. Um, A Quiet Place uh, spinoff, not sequel, that was going to be directed by Jeff Nichols, was it? Who recently dropped out. Uh, Now we know Michael Sarnosky is going to do it. And if that name sounds uh, unfamiliar, that's because he just had his debut feature come out, which was Pig, a fantastic movie that I love. That's not quite horror. I'm going to say horror adjacent kind of sort of not really at all. It's a indie drama. It's kind of set like a thriller. It's great. You should watch it. I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu now. Um, It's it's available. Um, Something else is out. The Last Duels on HBO. What else do we need to shout out that's out? Because people need to watch all this stuff. Um, I'm getting... I'm just all over the place. Um, Not much is known about A Quiet Place. 
not three, uh, other than it is not a threequel, but rather a spinoff based on an idea by, of course, series maestro John Krasinski. Uh, the hope is this film would help set up a potential Quiet Place universe that the studio can build on. Oh, God. Aren't you? I mean, I'm, I am I wasn't super into Quiet Place 2. I thought 1 was a fun time, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, yeah, it's whatever. Like, they're fun theme park-esque experience is for me in theaters, and I'll never really care to watch them again. But that sentence really did it for me, too. <laughs> like, I don't... That's not... It, it There's, just like uh, killed any any desire I had to see any yeah, like the universe, like the villain or the bad whatever you want to call them the monsters are so like not interesting like I don't want more of that type of shit. Um, anyway, that movie will be produced by Krasinski alongside Michael Bay, Andrew Foreman, Brad Fuller because it is, uh, lest we forget, a Platinum Dunes joint, is it not? It is, yeah, it's Platinum Dunes. We love that. Uh, what else do I? have here final cut which is the name of the remake of the brilliant zombie movie one cut of the dead a japanese film that we've definitely didn't done an episode on uh, i saw it at what was it one of the horror festivals a couple years ago it's on shutter now uh in a similar vein there's a movie called beyond the infinite two minutes that comes out i believe in like two weeks on vod another like high budget or high concept no budget indie that is all like just a trippy idea like uh, One Cut of the Dead, which was like a one-shot type of deal. Anyway, Michael Hasenvicious, who directed the Academy Award-winning film The Artist, directed the fucking, I guess, not American, I guess French remake of One Cut of the Dead that was supposed to premiere at Sundance. And my buddy who works at Yahoo watched it before they fucking yanked it and said it wasn't as good as... um, the original which is to be expected but final cut exists it's a remake of one cut of the dead it got pulled from sundance and we don't know when it's going to premiere that's the news there um happy death day star jessica roth is going to be in a sam raimi produced action thriller called boy kills world boy is played by bill skarsgård uh he is a deaf mute with a vibrant imagination when his family is murdered, he escapes to the jungle and is trained by a mysterious shaman to repress his childish imagination and become an instrument of death. Sounds there were like three. There were like three to four things in there that were pretty problematic, and I <laughs> was just hoping you were going to say that they were making another Happy Death Day. Yes, yeah, that's a big disappointment for me too. <laughs> yeah, no Happy Death Day three yet. Keep your uh, tweets coming. Maybe they'll make it. Um, Dexter New Blood, which is now over and I haven't watched yet, but I do want to. Uh, it seems like it pleased most people. Uh, it was the most watched series in Showtime history. Over the 10 episode run, it averaged 8 million weekly viewers across all Showtime platforms. Uh, the series finale drew 3 million total viewers on Sunday alone, making it the biggest Showtime finale in more than 8 years since Homeland in 2013. Uh, they said this was a limited series and that they were going to gauge the response before they did more. So I think we can say that hasn't been officially announced yet, but the new flesh can exclusively say. <laughs> uh, you got to watch it. We can talk about this because that would, it would, it would I know they're going to make more of it and it's going to be fucking terrible. I mean, it went out so poorly last time. I don't think they could fuck it up as badly. Uh, I just need you to, I don't want to spoil yeah, it for I'll watch you. It. I'll watch it. But like, it's just the idea of making more episodes is like completely absurd. Yeah, 
All right. Um, so, that's, so, that's it, so, it, so it does its job then as acting as a new finale. It does a good job of ending Dexter and making you never want to see more episodes. Yes. <laughs> I can't tell. I, I thought it was fine. I mean, liked it, was it like, or not. Oh, okay. No, I liked it fine. Um, did you see the My other news? I really liked it. No, what, what other news? Uh, Showtime news about Yellow Jackets. That it was. Tell me the stat. I saw you tweet. I will. I will. I will, I will share the news that it was. Uh, season one of the Showtime drama will rank as the network's biggest freshman series since Billions in 2016, um, and season two will arrive this year. This year? Yeah. Okay, that's huge because my wife has been freaking out about when it's going to come back and was hoping it would be sooner rather than later. Don't spoil anything. I have not watched the last okay. one. Yeah. Oh, you gotta, you gotta watch it. We won't spoil right. it. But yeah, We're watching I mean, it tonight. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was worried because they said they hadn't started writing season two, and I was like, they got to get on this. Those girls are twenty seven ish. Like they're all yeah. pushing thirty, and <laughs> you know, not to not to keep aging them up, but like you know, they let's, they have to back. Didn't you say they had a, a five season plan? They have a five season plan. Yeah. They should shoot all of them back to back to back to back right now. That sounds like a terrible idea uh, for a variety of reasons, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think the they didn't write season two yet shit is really apparent, but we'll wait for Lewis to watch it before we talk any further. Jesse hasn't watched it. I have watched it. Oh, uh, Jesse, excuse yeah. me. I'm all yeah. over the place. Um, Michael Bay is producing a remake of the Indonesian action flick that we love here at The New Flesh, The Raid. The Raid has been talked about being remade since it came out in, God, what was it, 2012 or something like that? Yeah, uh, Michael Bay is on board to produce. Uh, Gareth Evans, who directed the original, is on board as executive producer. Patrick Hughes is directing, which doesn't you know, lead to much excitement. His directorial efforts include The Expendables 3, The Hitman's Bodyguard, and, of course, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. And the script will be co-written by him and James Beaufort. The original film, you know, Gareth Evans, just a fucking SWAT team uh, raiding a like a like a project housing project a building with a bunch of drug runners in it. And it just fucking rocks. If you've never seen it, watch it and its sequel and you will not be disappointed. Um, I watched Eraser for the first time on HBO Max recently and thought it was great. And this was spurred by the fact that there's a movie called Eraser Reborn that was shot in secret um over the summer and wb is looking to release the new movie in spring 2022 and it's been rated r for violence throughout and language the film follows u.s marshal whatever his name is who specializes in engineering the fake deaths of witnesses that need to leave no trace of their existence uh the movie fucking rocks if you've never seen it it's directed by chuck russell who's directed um some of my favorite movies including nightmare on elm street dream warriors the mask uh, the blob from the 90s um so eraser a... reborn is a remake i'm sorry it's a remake of eraser it's a remake with dominic sherwood starring and not it's not, it's not a requel it's not a requel <laughs> it's a straight remake and jasmine savoy brown would be really pissed about it um ty west that's a name i haven't heard in years uh he's teaming up with a24 which just feels right to release a new horror movie called x which, as far as I can tell, is about um, a group of people going out to make a porn movie in Texas in the 70s. And um, they get caught and presumably Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque shit happens. The cast of this movie is most excited. 
uh, exciting because Jenny Ortega's in it, who is my favorite part of Scream 5, apart from David Arquette. Again, I'm spoiling everything. I can't keep it in my mouth. Um, Ty West, I, you know, he made one of my favorite horror movies in the past. Is it even 10 years anymore? Probably not. Uh, the House of the Devil. I love that movie. And I, I think that's 2008. Um, and I don't think I've liked much that he's done since. The Innkeepers is okay. Sacrament is okay. The one, the Western with John Travolta is pretty bad. Um, so I'm excited for a new horror movie from him. It comes out March 18th, 2022. Tyler Bates is doing the score, who does a lot of scores in horror. Uh, John Wick, Halloween, Dawn of the Dead, The Sacrament. Blumhouse is doing a new adaptation of Stephen King's Firestarter, and that has been rated R for violent content. We've already known about this. The news here is that it's rated R. Zac Efron's in it. Michael Gray Eyes is in it. Gloria Rubin is in it. Two other people whose names I don't recognize are in it. Uh, it much uh, The 84 movie with young Drew Barrymore was also rated R, I believe. And the movie isn't very good. No. Um, it's not, it's not, it's, it, it does not need to be remade, but it's happening. So I guess we have to uh, see that now. Uh, it's true. Uh, Pete Davidson is uh, going to get his horror stripes soon. He will be starring in a horror movie called The Home from the creators of The Purge. Uh, Pete Davidson will play Max, a troubled man who starts working at a retirement home and realizes its residents and caretakers harbor sinister secrets. If you are a member of Film Twitter, you may know that a uh, friend of the show and past guest and host of the wonderful The King cast on Fangoria, um, Eric Vespi, a long time ago, sold a script called The Home about... Uh, Elder, elderly residents of a nursing home banding together to fight monsters praying, uh, uh, that preyed on them in the night. Um, him and Aaron Morgan were working on it. They had a cast that included like Cloris Leachman and Ed Asner and Elijah Wood, a bunch of crazy people. A bunch of people, people who are dead now. Yeah, a lot of people who've died. This was many years ago. Um, but basically, I think Eric has since deleted the tweets. But they announced this fucking project. And of course, Eric's like, what the fuck? This has the same title and similar enough premise that he should be raising hell about it, but mostly because they put Pete Davidson in it, not because they stole his, his idea. Um, but yeah, that's a thing that exists. And that is all the news that's fit to print this week, baby. Um, let's talk about scream five. Um, let's let hmm, Lewis go first. Yes. Talk about, I guess what your uh, first reaction my, my was. Thoughts, my thoughts yeah. on Scream twenty twenty two. Your thoughts on Scream twenty twenty two, and then we'll have Jesse um, say uh, a bunch of wrong stuff, and then I'll <laughs> jump in and say all the right stuff again. Uh, great. Um, so Scream was the first movie that we all saw together. Yes. So that was exciting. The, the boys right. are back in town for the very first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, I loved Scream, uh, Scream Five, Five Cream. Uh, had a had a great time. Um, I yeah. I mean, I don't know where we want to begin, but um, I was so nervous about it. I was like, I was going to go to a later screening, and then I was like, I actually don't know if I can handle waiting any longer because um, the night before, someone had texted me, "Scream sucks," and I and oh. like totally like deflated me i was so 
upset about this and i was just like i need this movie to be good and so i like couldn't wait any longer i won at five um and uh yeah it was um it was like from the opening scene i just felt like such relief that it seemed like it was good and then it just got increasingly good i think there's some stuff in the first act that is less successful but that like mostly pays off in a way that i was like by the end of it very very happy and it's sort of only grown uh my my enthusiasm my enthusiasm for the movie i think has grown since i saw it i i upped my letterboxd rating from a four to a 4.5 which some people did take notice of um <laughs> asked me about but um yeah it's great i don't know i mean like i definitely have quibbles but it's just like it, given how much I had riding on this movie being good and how high my expectations were, I'm like, I'm amazed that I liked it as much as I did. And I think that like, even though I don't really need more scream movies, I am okay with the fact that we will inevitably get more sequels. I think that they introduced um, a mostly great new cast and I will enjoy seeing them have more adventures, uh, you know, escaping ghost face slash being murdered slash being ghost face maybe so um yeah i uh i'm a fan i liked it lewis is pro scream five so is jesse yeah i am pro scream five it, it sounds makes it sound so much more controversial and interesting than it really is that's just like a a question of me finding it mostly uh, to be a Scream sequel. Like, it's a good Scream... I've, I've liked all the Scream sequels, except I don't love 4. I think 4 is still, like, even revisiting it for this this podcast. This the episode we did on Scream 4. I haven't watched it recently. Um, that was, like, a year ago. If you yeah, remember. yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, I... Uh, even then, I, I liked it more, but I still didn't like it as much as 2 or 3, or certainly the first one. And this one I like as much as I liked Scream 2 and 3, which I just to say, like it's doing something that's clever and like of a piece with the other ones and feels like it fits in well. And it's even more, probably more impressive in some ways because it's not Williamson or Craven doing those things for a, for a fifth uh, installment that it fits in so well, but it has, I think some of the inherent limitations of them, which is you sort of, by making a sequel, it becomes more about, uh, you know, sort of about its own, cleverness more than how either how scary or even what the kind of genre stuff means i think this one does a better job than than say three which i really enjoy as like as for its comic elements and some of the i think that you know the casting catch story is interesting um this one probably does a better job of like bringing bringing it back around to like pop culture critique that feels like a piece with the first one i don't know that it like holds together that well in terms of just like basic movie stuff like you know, uh, how kind of unwieldy it is to introduce six new characters uh, in the first 10 minutes who are supposed to be suspects in a murder case, but don't really have much. It doesn't really matter. Like I wrote about this and when I, when I wrote about the movie um, for Polygon and that, and I don't mean necessarily mean this as a criticism. It's just a limiting factor for me. It doesn't matter who the killer is in this movie. It doesn't really matter in any of the sequels who it is. And I think they came up with a good solution in this. 
but it's all kind of like killing time, isn't it? Until they like, until you, until like they kind of arbitrarily reveal who it is. And the motivation is more interesting. And it is interesting in this movie. Um, but, I, you know, I just felt like maybe a little bit more of a distance from it than I did from, from the original Scream. And I don't think that's, I don't really even mean that as a criticism necessarily. I think if you're going to make a Scream sequel, I don't know how much better you could make them than, than two, three, and five. And I know people don't like some of those, don't like three or whatever. Um, but like I think you know this this movie just like has a sort of unwieldy feel that it lampshades by talking about the difficulties of making the requel, which is the you know um, I think better known as a legacy sequel or a you know uh, some there's other stuff people have called it, but the basically the movie that's you know tries a to introduce remake, new characters is that one yeah, a remake will people say which is also not really that accurate because it really is just like a, it's the long gap sequel it's the one with like where you so much time has passed that you can't only follow the original characters because their lives have moved on and produced original you know additional people whether it's they have children or there's new people in 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 the job they used to hold or whatever um it's it's in of that ilk and i think it, this has plenty of the unwieldiness of those movies that the, some of those movies have, and they kind of make fun of it at like a screen movie, and it's really fun and, and gratifying, and there's some great scenes of, where they get into that stuff. Um, but it still is kind of that, where you're kind of going, okay, so I'm kind of following these new characters, but the old characters are in the background, and the point of view is not really very consistent between the two of them, and it's kind of a it's kind of a like a gaggle of characters. It, you know, waiting for one of them to be un, either un, waiting for them to either be surprised, not surprised, killed, or surprised, not surprised, revealed as the killer. I just think there's like, you know, when you're in Woodsboro, it's just kind of a feels like a limited, like there's a limited amount of space that you can play in. And I don't. That sounds much more sour because I had such a fun time with this movie. It was, it's a, it's a blast. It's a fun movie. I like, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, I'm gonna. Oh, ooh, ooh. I wanted to press the mute button so many times. I, so many I almost just took over by fiat here. Um, all right, I'll give my quick spoiler-free rundown before we get into all of it. My first take was that uh, the scream. This movie takes on toxic fandoms, legacy remakes, and even gets a jab in at elevated horror and typically clever meta fashion. Its central focus on trauma of the past also fits right at home with current trends in the genre. And actually, Wes Craven's Scream franchise, which was way ahead of the mining trauma thing and doing it, you know, earnestly. Um, despite being the first entry made without Wes Craven and the second without a Williamson script, it looks, feels, and sounds like Scream, which is, I think, what Jesse was saying, is that I agree it doesn't reinvent any wheels. This is truly just another Scream sequel, which is, I agree, it's kind of remarkable because it's not a Craven or Williamson thing. I guess Williamson is an executive producer on it. Um, but this is a radio silence picture and written by uh, James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. Is that right? But right. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's like Scream, I think, we probably talked about this last year. It's definitely like the most important and influential uh, movie and franchise in the genre probably uh in my lifetime i would say so it's really exciting for it to um be back and for it to be so good and like i'm shocked that i liked a movie you know a west craven product that well, wasn't made by him like possibly more than ones made by him and i feel i feel weird about it i don't know if it's recency bias or me seeing it twice i don't know what it is but i feel a little weird saying that i like this one 
probably more than any other Scream movie after watching it twice and watching it a second time in a packed house on a Saturday night uh, the weekend it came out with a crowd that was in the palm of its fucking hand. It was so fun. But anyway, um, I just didn't find it unwieldy in any way, Jesse, because it's made with such an affection for the Scream franchise and the first movie in particular like clearly these guys are fans. I thought the way that it mirrors the original as like a remake part of the remake will is really clever and the, you know, skewering of those things. Like it's just it's just all classic scream shit and I'm impressed that this movie is that. Like it's a movie made in 2022 that feels of a piece with every single other one that doesn't feel like some other guy stepped in and doesn't feel like, you know, it changed hands and is now a Paramount picture <laughs> with Spyglass, you know? It doesn't feel like that. It feels like a Scream movie. And it feels like the uh, the Dimension logo should have came up in front of it. Um, I really enjoyed the new cast, aside from the fucking lead, which is a hilarious thing to say. I yeah. didn't think... The, the, the first time, I didn't find her distractingly bad. I just didn't think she was very good. And the second time, I was like, she is... a act like another level everyone else in this movie is better than her so much so that i think she's bad in this movie now um i think her sister jenny ortega who plays uh tara in the opening scene who's mostly bedridden for the rest of the movie uh, in the hospital um she is like giving for some reason like an oscar caliber performance she is <laughs> so committed to this fucking role and being a scream queen and i think she's fantastic here and I'm excited that she's in this Ty West movie. I think she says she was already a scream queen in uh, some that bad babysitter sequel. But I'm just I think she's great. And even more affecting than her was this fucking David Arquette Dewey Gale arc. I that grounding the entire movie I did not expect, <laughs> and I did not expect it to be so fucking affecting and moving. And it's totally of a piece with Scream to have this like the metatextual uh, relationship that like audiences have with Courtney Cox and David Arquette. We all know that they like met on this fucking movie and that they had this very public, you know, people magazine cover style relationship um, and like had a very public falling or breakup. And like, you know, he kind of was a drunk afterwards and, you know, he disappeared and the movie very smartly like plays into that and like uses it as the backbone of the whole thing and i guess like i'm assuming jesse just didn't find this as moving as i did or like fans or bigger fans of the franchise do but for me i was like this shit hook line and sinker got me and i found it so moving especially what they what ends up happening the way it was handled um i just thought everything with him as his introduction scene where he's watching gail on the morning show i was just so like oh this is really sad this is really fucking sad and the way he and this movie, the the, way, the filmmakers are so good at diffusing tension with humor, like simple character moments like Tara and her sister talking. She's in the hospital and she's like, I'm so high right now. And there's also that moment where Richie's about to go to the basement and says, I'll be right back. And then he and Jasmine Savoy Brown realize he said it and like do that like back and forth thing like that got a huge reaction in the crowd. Um, I just had so much fun with this movie and watching it the second time I was like clued in after rewatching all of them, I'm like, is this, cause I, I, I thought I was texting Lewis before I saw it again. Like, I think this might be my favorite sequel and maybe my favorite one. And I just don't know if I'm riding the high of it or what, but seeing it again, I was clued in. I'm like, is this a top tier screen movie? And like ticking the boxes of each scene and sequence. I think it is. 
I think Sheriff Hicks's death scene is genuinely fucking scary and happens in broad daylight. That whole sequence with her and Wes getting killed is a perfect scream scene. It has the horror. It has this, that fucking montage of three fake outs that honestly, um, I couldn't believe how well that scene played with a, with a Saturday night crowd. Like the audience fell for the first, uh, you know, they're basically are setting up West to be killed. We know the killers in the house are nearby and he keeps doing those like walks into a frame where a door is or like a refrigerator opens and there's something going to be behind it. And the movie is fucking with you. It's a joke. And everybody in the audience fell for the first in terms of not fell for it as a joke. They were scared. Everyone was wrapped. And then the second one, they were wrapped. And by the third one, when he, when he goes to the refrigerator and starts setting up, you know, the dinner with his mom, which is horrifying, by the way, because she's already dead. But the audience was cracking up by the third one, like just the shot of the refrigerator. And like, that's impressive filmmaking to me to get an audience to react that way. And then the audience was back the fuck in by the fourth one, which is when the guy actually comes out after he closes the door. That to me encompasses why this movie is perfect a perfect screen movie um and i've seen people sorry i've never really been this hyped on a movie on the podcast <laughs> i'm really is this, excited this is the yeah. movie of a lifetime i I, I, my wife has been saying the same thing to me. She's like, I've never seen you like this about a movie. I, I just haven't felt this way where I'm like, I don't think there's a false note in the thing. Like I have quibbles too, and we'll get into it. But after seeing it again and like the, the third act justification of my quibble, I don't even think it's a quibble. I think it's like a, it's a joke that either you think, or it's like a clever thing that you think works or you think it's silly. And I happen to think it's clever. Um, this episode's going to be full of those moments where, um, I don't know. I love to joke about if, uh, you know, so bad on purpose and we're saying, you know, oh, that's intentionally bad and that's why it's good. Like, I love that type of shit, but we'll get into it. Um, uh, what else did I want to say before we really get into the spoiler free stuff? I really want to, it's worth pointing out Dewey, Dewey and Gale relationship is such a strong anchor that metatextual stuff really adds a lot. And Dewey's arc just is great. And his performance is like fantastic. I just Arquette has never been better as um, than than as when he is Dewey, and I think Courtney Cox is never better than when she is Gail Weathers. I think they're great characters for them, and I think they're both well, particularly David Arquette because he gets more time to shine. He just broke my heart in this movie, and I thought he's so good. Um, uh, what else do I want to say before spoilers? As far as third act motivation reveals that a reflection on current society go, I think this is a top tier one. Uh, how can fandom be toxic if it's out of love? I think that's great. Um, you know, screen movies are of their eras, right? Like each one is a response to the current moment. Well, I guess this one more so than two, three, and f- uh, than two and three. And I guess four, it just brings it back to like the genre criticism that the first one really acts as. You know what I mean? Do you guys agree? Do you think it's yeah. more? I mean, yeah. yeah, I think that four was definitely trying to be of the moment. Um, three, In a different three way. Is like a broad, yeah, three is a broader sort of Hollywood satire that's not really like it's almost three is almost like prescient in terms of like the casting couch stuff, but also like is a smart enough movie to pull it off in any sort of like meaningful way. Um, and then two is just kind of, you know, enjoyable. I don't know that two has like much to say about anything, um, but I love What's it. More to say about like 
that movie is like I think Walter Chaw in one of his pieces, you know, just says like makes the very obvious connection that she's like a Cassandra figure. And that movie is about her like figuring that out and like having to, you know, keep dying for her art. So to speak. Yeah, I, I don't um I don't love the Cassandra stuff, which is a separate thing I realized as I was rewatching. But um I mean I love the 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 moments because they're great and I love Nev Campbell with that, you know, costume and the makeup doing those those um those monologues. But uh I uh yeah I think two is like you know much more you know, skewering the idea of like a horror franchise, making it having to do a sequel, how sequels are usually bad um, and kind of getting into like movies, inspiring violence, which they touch on in the first movie, but like the second movie has the murder during stab. So you kind of get like the more direct, like, you know, which is a top tier iconic. Yeah. One of the, one of the great kills of the series. Um, I, I think like listening to you talk about this um, gush about this movie, I, think like i've tried to shut out a lot of um criticism because i don't want to hear people talk shit about scream yet like i'm not i'm not ready for negativity in my scream discussions at this time although jesse you're allowed some obviously um he's not even negative he's just no i know i know i know but i'm like i'm like i'm sort of like you know i'm 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 allowing a tiny bit to like trickle in but i'm trying to avoid a lot of it but the weird thing that i keep hearing from people is like this is not my scream doesn't feel like scream to me which first of all is like a line out of the movie and that's like the motivation of the killers so like i think that it sort of you know preempts that response but i also just like it does feel like scream to me like i you know maybe i'm i'm wrong but i think i'm right about most things and i also like i just i i guess like it couldn't feel more like scream to feels me. very much like scream to me and it also looks like scream to me in a way that scream 4 which is so oversaturated does not and and i think scream 3 which is so cartoonish um that's why i don't like scream 3 it just feels very like silly and slapstick and doesn't feel like this you know, feels the most like scream to me since scream 2 um so i, I that particular i understand the complaints about things like um you know melissa like melissa barrera's acting or the cgi on um redacted which we'll talk about in a second even though i don't know why you'd be listening to this if you haven't watched it um but yeah but but like i just feel like that particular note i don't quite get because it's it feels like off to me i will say one more thing which is that brett i do think like your love of this movie is totally valid. Obviously I love it too, but I do think part of its recency bias, I think part of it's also like the buildup of waiting for a great scream sequel for all of these years and sort of taking in the franchise as a whole. And I feel like part of what the audience is responding to, which you're also responding to is that feeling we all had of like, I can't believe this is actually good. And I can't believe it's like surprising me in these ways. So I feel like, that that to me like makes it a better movie, but it's a better movie in the context of the series. So I don't know if I like I still think Scream is like the original Scream is like the greatest movie of all of them. Yeah. But I think that like the new Scream maybe is the most satisfying experience I've had seeing any of them in a the theater because I just was like I never could have imagined enjoying a Scream movie this much, um, you know, after after all these years. Yeah. And after Halloween fucking sucked um so there's that also i feel like that i feel like the halloween uh new trilogy like really made me suspicious about any sort of like new writers and directors taking on these iconic franchises where i was like please god let it die um we're talking about scream 3 you were talking about scream 3 for a second 
just rewatching it the other day. I mean, I already said this last year when we talked about it, but this time I had a better read on it where to me, this time it played like an apology for like the knockoffs and parodies and, you know, the culture that basically Weinstein exploited surrounding scream and like scream three kind of plays like a, Hey, sorry about that. Um, like it's a very angry movie. Um, and I think a bad movie. I just, I like, I understand like the things to enjoy about it, but I really like rewatching it was like, there's so much that just doesn't work at all. Well, I mean, when like the, the reveal of the killer is like, you have to be like, wait, who's that? Cause you're like, he's barely in the movie. And then they give you all the exposition, and it's like very. It's well, also, also because they cut Connie. because they cut Emily Mortimer from being the other killer. Yeah, you have a movie where she's the weirdest fucking character. She like pops up randomly. She's super creepy. She like doesn't make any sense, and then just gets killed because they decided to go a different route. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Scream Three too much, but uh, you know, I I uh, I do not like it. I've decided. <laughs> Hot take. I I like it. I guess it's not a hot take. Most people do not like it. Um, but anyway, Scream Five. I thought everyone is really good except for Melissa Brera. So but see, I don't get I don't get Melissa, the Melissa Brera thing at all about you guys talking about her not being good. Uh, I think it's like, like I don't know. I think if you were to watch it again, you would be like, okay, I see what they're saying. Well, I don't. Okay, I want to. I, I want to like to clarify. Like, I don't think she's. I don't think she's like. Bad. Well, I, I think she's kind of. I bad. think she's like the only person in the movie you you really have something to really hang on to besides maybe Arquette's That's performance, crazy. which is which is wait, you, I, which is everybody else. Wait, I think. Wait, you think she's good? I thought she was fine. I thought like I didn't. Oh, I, I guess no, I didn't I th- think. I didn't think one way that much one way or the other about the quality of the performance. I guess I was thinking more about I think so like, bad that people think this? the writing is bad. That's how I, bad I, I think. Maybe the writing is just like fine and fine, okay no, to fine, I, and she's and she's doing exactly what the writing is, is asking think, her to do. I think like, you could sell some of those moments better with a different actor. I think she's okay. I think she's she's definitely wooden in some parts. They should have had it be twins, and Jenny Ortega could have done both. I, th- I, I mean, think- I thought Ortega was good too. I, I thought they were they were very believable as sisters and had a similar sort of continuity, you know, character wise. Where I felt like, okay, they're both sort of scrappy you know pretty decent like sydney prescott replacements which is sort of part of the dynamic of this right and like well i yeah but i feel like if you're comparing them to like to like nev cam i don't know i feel like nev campbell gives you a lot more from the beginning and scream oh yeah i mean i don't mean in 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 the whole history of this i just mean in this movie where nev campbell's not in it that much and courtney cox isn't in it that much and all of her friends jasmine savoy brown's very fun as the randy is the randy figure um like and and she's a, certainly a highlight for me but everyone else is sort of just to me sort of a you know it's, it's impressive how likable some of them are when you mentioned the the death of one of the uh high school kids um yeah. with his mom it's very it's like it's very sweet I, like it's very sad and sweet because he said he is like a very sweet natured character and in general i i enjoyed the uh, what's that when he's setting the dinner table for the yeah, it's, that's yeah. N- that's nice, nice, it's a nice classic, moment. Like David Gordon Greenian touch that you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it's not as good as like something David Gordon Green would do, but like, sure, it's fine. <laughs> um, it's like, it's like all the characters are you know an- enjoyable, but they just are so. I mean, this is true of of any of any of the new characters in any of the sequels, and this one does a better job than many of them. But it, there's just such an obvious like, well, we need six of these kids, and Wait, we need can- to kind of correspond. There's suspects in cannon fodder, but I would say to that point, like there are more good ones than not. Like I think Jenna Ortega is great. I think Dylan yeah, Manette has a 
a nice job with like an underwritten character, but like he's a good actor. And so it works. I think Jasmine Savoy Brown is great. I think Hugh Gooding Jr.'s son is he's charming. Yeah. doesn't do a lot, but is charming. And I think yeah. Jack Quaid is great. And like, obviously yeah. takes a turn, but I think like he's super charming. And also as like a really good audience surrogate for a lot of the movie, because he's like learning about all of this and like, his sort of commentary of like sounds like Halloween and all of that, like I found very enjoyable. Yeah, and oh, think... he's. I probably liked him more in this than I've ever than anything I've seen him before, and and always thought, okay, oh, he, he's sort of like the bland, every blandly handsome every man, and he's likable. But like I, even in the boys, which where he's like pretty central, I sort of like I don't think his acting is very like next level or does anything really subtle or interesting. He's sort of playing it exactly as written, and this one he did have like a little bit of that spin to it. Yeah. Um, and he's good. It's not that I think everyone else in the movie is bad acting. I just thought like, I just felt like, okay, the movie has a weird structural thing where like, okay, they do introduce these six or so, you know, new teenage characters who again, like in not no fault with any of the actors who are all, you know, either not really given much to do or good, or sometimes not given much to do and good anyway. Right. Um, but the characters are not like Sam, the play, the character played by Marissa Barrera, I feel like maybe is getting the brunt of something that's actually this, a structural fault of the movie. She's not friends with any of those characters. She has no connection to them. She has a connection to a past character. Oh, we didn't mention, sorry, we didn't mention Mikey Madison. Who's oh, yeah, yeah. Also, yes. also good. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. But, I, but, but Jesse, my point there was like, I think you're right about the fault of Scream sequels, which are like the limitations of Scream sequels in that like, you know, there's only so much you can do with these characters. And I would say this Scream more than any of the other sequels gives you more characters to like and care about than like i think if you look at like scream two three four there's like even less to work with so like yeah, that's it, is a, it is a fault of like you know a, a horror sequel that has to kind of like you know quickly establish a bunch of you know cannon fodder slash suspects but i think like this one does a slightly better job um with a kind of a thankless task of like we have to quickly give you a bunch of people to work with yeah well i mean given that i would say then what's the problem with melissa barrera who i like was one of the new people and i felt like okay she's i'm like i, I you know i'm getting the, the conflict really, she feels and, and i thought she was really good and in the heights which is yeah like yeah i just rewatched part of that this afternoon so i was just maybe i'm in a more of a like no she's great i just watched her in this musical well, yeah, but I, thought I thought she was good in this movie too i thought she was great in that and i just never i mean I just, I really, I think part of it is that everyone else is so good around her. I just, and maybe it is the the writing or the dialogue she has to give. But, she, I mean, she does have some tough stuff to deliver. Like, she has to do, like, the, the Billy Loomis exposition and stuff. Like, yeah, it's I didn't not, think any of that was, was especially egregious. You know what? The crowd I saw it with was, <gasps> they were gasping. Like, they <laughs> yeah, were yeah. invested. I'm sorry, but if you don't get that she's Melodrama. his daughter by that point, like, are you paying attention? <laughs> I know. Like, it's I know. not exactly subtle. Yeah. Um, but I do, like, I think that that whole moment is a hard one to pull off because I think it is written in a little bit of a silly way. I think it's intentional. I think it's like a Ray Palpatine moment and it's supposed to be kind of silly that she's like Billy Loomis's secret daughter. But I think that like That's, she plays yeah. it with a bit more sincerity than I would have done it. And I think not that I'm an actor, like I, that I would have directed it maybe. And I think like Jenna Ortega kind of cutting that moment with humor is the right move because like it just like, I don't know. The Billy stuff is, is like silly and you have to kind of lean into it for it to work for me. And I think like by the end of the movie, that's why it worked for me. Cause I felt like they understood that it was like silly, yeah. but that's um, the thing I think about this no. movie. And like, I just think it's smarter than it's detractors, which is like kind of a 
mean thing to say, maybe. But like, fight him. Well, no, I I agree in in general. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of criticism, and I say this as a as a semi professional critic. A lot of criticism does come from the place of. Well, I'm so much smarter than this. I outsmarted this from the jump, and I here is all the things no, where I would have done it better. So I, yeah. I agree. People are often take that route and are are completely incorrect about them being smarter than the movie they're watching. I do think this movie is often one step ahead, and like I just find the criticisms not particularly what Jesse said or anything, but like I've seen people say the classic like it's not scary it never got me or i guess the killer right away and it's just like all that stuff couldn't be further from the point to me for me and i'm just like like even to, i guess to jesse's point what i would say of like there's introducing too many characters i'm like you're just like i guess not down for what the scream sequel is giving you then because like i think it's doing exactly what it has to because like that's what that's the nature of a scream sequel you're gonna get some new people most of them are gonna die and i do think i had no problem with the introductions i actually thought it was impressive how quickly they were introduced and like you know you're already getting like a good vibe with the with the with the with the tight-knit group everyone i don't know i guess it's just a matter of like me thinking the dialogue worked versus someone thinking that it was it feels it just felt a little diffuse to me that you're like introduced to these characters very quickly and then it's like, well, anyway, none of these are the main character. The main character is this other person. And well, then we have to introduce that's that like, character. I, I, that's the contriveness of this legacy sequel that they're making. Well, but I think, it's, yeah. It's like I, the and, meta layer that is going to piss people off and get people to tell me that you're just dismissing things that are lazy and bad as intentional and good. But I mean, <laughs> this is a movie that's all about meta text. And yeah, like, I mean, I think not, there there are yeah. there are ways to do that more, you know, adroitly than perhaps than the way that like when when Lewis alluded to, there's some stuff the movie doesn't do that well in the open. I do think it kind of, you know, get as it starts moving, you start getting like this. The where it really clicked for me is, and this isn't that far into the the movie where they kind of get them all together with Dewey and Sam, who's Melissa Barrera's character, and and then uh, Jenna Ortega's pals all together, <laughs> and, and Heather Matarazzo uh, as Randy's sister. Lovely to see her. Um, where they're all together at, at the at the Meeks um, house, the Meeks Martin house, the Meeks Martin house, and they start going in the you know, kind of. And that's always to me the energy I love about Scream. There's a great thing. Scream Two has a really good one of those. The sort of like Arquette and Rand uh, and then Jamie Kennedy. Uh, you know, bouncing ideas off each other and like in and kind of suspecting each other even in a fun way. Uh, and that this that was like a turbocharged version of that scene where they're all sort of bouncing ideas about like how this how these movies are supposed to work and how this relates to their actual lives. And then you get um Jasmine Savoy Brown kind of taking really making it clear how much of a Randy she is talking about her sort of like reddit rabbit holes and it was even a moment where at, in the moment i was going oh no this movie's kind of trying to have its cake and eat its two yeah eat its, eat it too about like uh, this is probably just you know this is like a dumb issue near and dear to my heart but i was like oh they're kind of making fun of the people who were crazy about who went crazy about last jedi but they're also kind of maybe saying that they have a point which i was like i don't like this i don't like that i don't like i'm not gonna hear that like I, that's that to me is like is sort of beyond the pale in terms of like well, oh well, I, mean, I, I i don't I, I yeah i think that's interesting because like i think one of the worst things they do in the movie um, is show the footage of the Ryan Johnson stab and it looks like yeah. fucking garbage because I'm yeah. like Ryan Johnson would never direct that movie 
Right. Um, a lot of people. I don't, I don't like, know. Saying, like, yeah, the movie's not saying Just Jedi's good guys. And I'm like, I think you're. That's. I mean, it, it does undercut itself with that joke. Well, and I like, eventually. Yeah, but, well, well, yeah, if, but like, but ultimately, the movie that we're getting is the we're getting the Ryan Johnson version of the movie. We're getting Scream. We're not getting Scream Five. And so, like, I feel like that's that feels more like you know. And then I think the sort of dumber stuff, which the movie sort of knows is dumb, like the Billy Loomis stuff, is very much like episode nine shit that like no one liked so i think that it does ultimately fall on the side of like we should we should do these like you know we should have different filmmakers do slightly different things and like oh yeah no i i didn't think that eventually i didn't i didn't think the movie really came down on on that in fact and in, in, even in that moment where i was kind of like feeling hesitation i was also sort of thrilled just because the movie was like actually making me think about this stuff and kind of it felt like it was starting to really cook after kind of a long series of like introductions. I, th I agree the opening scene is great. I think I was so excited by the idea that this is like maybe our first sort of spoiler and not really that Jenna Ortega, who's the girl in the first scene, uh, the famous scream scene where someone gets killed when they're, you know, menaced on the phone after being menaced on the phone by this killer. Um, Jenna Ortega survives that scene, um, which is a cool twist. And I think I was a little disoriented by like right in a row getting hit with she survived here are her friends, but no, wait, there's this other girl. Yeah. Who's her sister. But, and then, so when they're all together in that house and then, you know, then they have to introduce Dewey to a couple of characters and have his kind of, and that's on his point of view for a little while. When they finally all come together in that house, even though some of them, what they're saying, I was like, yeah, this might be, this might turn into a real yikes situation guys. Uh, it was also like really fun to see all this stuff coming together. I was like, oh, this is what I like out of Scream. This kind of like half paranoid, half really knowledgeable about genre and also kind of like exciting and, and suspenseful deal. I was really into that. And I thought like at that point I was like, okay, this movie's clicking for me in a way that for the first 20 or 30 minutes, it was a little in and out in terms of like, oh, that was a cool moment. Oh, now we're sort of, there's a lot of like plot shoe leather just to get to, there's a guy in a mask. Well, Someone, I, someone's the killer. I'm gonna <laughs> you know? because I think it's really. I guess seeing it a second time helped me be like, oh, this is a really clever through line the whole time. I think it's quite clever that like I agree that it's great the twist that she doesn't get killed in the opening scene. And I think it's even a greater the, the fact that it's like a beacon for her sister to come to town is great and a plot driving mechanic. And then like that is basically something that is used three times. It's <laughs> They use that to get Dewey there. They use that to eventually get Sydney there. Well, and yeah, I mean, that was that was like why I was like, well, Dewey's going to die because there's no other reason why Sydney would ever show up in yeah. Woodsboro. Yeah. Um, and also because I think that I appreciated the night we you talked about, you alluded to like his arc being sort of satisfying. And it's like Dewey has, I think, the worst arc of any of them through the movies, like never revolves, always sucks at his job. Like he and Gail are kind of on again, off again. He's called Barney like, Fife in like three different movies. By and it's, but he is. He's like he sucks. He's always like waving the first movie, watching it again and seeing how often he waves his gun around. Where I'm just well, like, yeah. I mean, that movie was based on him, and it's right. It's not so and, far and, off. No, and like, and he never solves the crime, and he never gets the the bad guy, and he gets stabbed every time. So I do feel like this movie did something really interesting by putting him at his lowest and making him the most realistic he's ever been where he like he left he left the force because probably because he knows he sucks at being a sheriff and um couldn't prevent like, the last series of murders and like there was nowhere else for him to go but then he gets this like great hero moment um ultimately didn't need to do anything because i guess that was all designed to trap him into 
killing him. And obviously uh, Jack Quaid was never in any real danger. But the, the point being that like, I don't know, do we got this great moment to go out on? It was a great death scene and it like propels the plot forward. So I was really satisfied with that after feeling like I don't really care about Dewey as a character versus like Sydney and Gail have always been, you know, the most compelling, like the driving force between me caring about Scream so much. Uh, so it's nice to have Dewey like get a shine yeah. even at his lowest, like be the most interesting he's ever been. Yeah, I found, as I said before in my rant, I, f- I found it just so moving, like just right from the moment he's introduced and the whole him watching Gail on TV, the way he reacts to them coming to his door, the way he texts Gail that ghost faces back, <laughs> hope you well or whatever, smiling face. That that so, got, that's so good. Yeah. That got such a huge laugh. It's just, I don't know, man. I, there's nothing in this movie that doesn't work for me, but let's go from the beginning, scene by scene, if you guys are down for it, if you still have the time. Because I want to... I, I don't feel like I've said why I like it enough. Um, so I'm sure... Really? As, I mean, I... I, <laughs> I'm I, sure feel, I we, feel like we have... I feel like we, I feel like we, could, we could hit the beats without yeah, going yeah, without all, necessarily. Because yeah, we'll we've, we've described a lot of these scenes. We'll be here forever if we go... Yeah, if we go yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be quick. It's, it's, not that, it's not a lot that happens. So it opens, as we said, scene mimicking the opening scene of 1996 scream tara carpenter uh of course the name is a nod to john carpenter there's another character named uh sam carpenter which is a you know hybrid of sam loomis and john carpenter there's just you know if you look for all that stuff and point them all out you're there's just a character named west so it's not exactly like yeah. <laughs> character named west and the movie's got four west on it there's even a scene where they're drinking four west it's very nice um anyway tara is drew barrymore in the opening scene She's at home alone. Landline rings. Tara answers. It's Ghostface forcing her to answer trivia, not about horror movies in general, but specifically about Stab. And I lo- one thing I love about this movie, another thing, is that, you know, Scream was always about horror at large and horror genre at large. And it is still making comments about film and horror genre at large. But this movie in particular is more about Scream itself. And I think that is like a knock for for Jesse, who doesn't like love these movies as much as I do, but for me, I'm like, that's great. I think that rocks. Anyway, the land no, that, was, that was great, and I thought it like, and I really appreciated the elevated horror conversation and like the idea that like kids today don't appreciate slasher movies because they like have got a dumber. I mean, like the last movie, sort of Scream Four, had that sort of torture porn stuff that was like kind of fun, but not really. And I thought this did a much better job of like you know articulating a generational divide and also like explaining that someone who like you know like scream was a movie if you were like a young person now you might have seen like at a sleepover but you don't really like have that same kind of attachment to it i wrote that line down as i love so much the like again just this movie i'm in the palm of its hand right away with tara carpenter talking about elevated horror yeah i like uh the babadook's my favorite horror movie it's about motherhood and trauma um and again the ghost face saying that sounds boring and her saying (laughs) you know it's not it's not it's not always just a you know string along a string of jump scares um yeah i love that conversation and um what you said like it does it just it's immediately better than the opening of four for me where it's just like this is a low that's a low bar (laughs) well i don't know i thought four is fun the nesting doll situation like it's clever but not clever it's not clever, but I think it's not super well executed because then the actual real kill is kind of like an afterthought. So yeah. there's a couple things about this being a stab trivia, like it's like about stab and th- about scream itself that I like. One of them is that you get to see her scroll on IMDb 
to find, which is another fun detail. She's getting tri- quizzed, but like it's 2022. She can just Google it now. <laughs> and I love that they included that. Um, and she is um, looking on IMDb to find out whatever the question is, who plays. She's, I think the question is who plays, you know, Casey Becker. Casey, the opening, Casey, yeah. opening scene of Stab. And I, as an audience member, I was probably, I was probably annoying sitting next to Lewis being like, it's Heather Graham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> scrolling through her IMDb. And of course she figures out it's Heather Graham. But here are the other names on there if you weren't quick enough to look. I wrote them down this time. David Schwimmer was Dewey. We, we knew that. We knew that. Tori Spelling was Sydney. We knew that. Luke Wilson's in it. Heather Graham played Billy and Casey respectively. Here are the new ones. Craig Bierko is Cotton Weary. Vin- oh, I love that. Vince Vaughn is Stu. And Alicia Silverstone is Tatum. Oh, okay. I, that's, I like that. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. fun. So that's just a fun, stupid thing. Um, I, I like do you, in, in, uh, in Scream 2, they mentioned that the actor who played Randy was like a no-name actor. And so I like that we got the all those we got the Randy scene in Stab. And, uh, what? and it's, no and it's in, indeed someone that you have no idea who it is. I thought that was great because I really liked Randy being pissed about not being played <laughs> by someone famous. Yeah. That is that is another Easter egg that I had written down. I love that so much. Um so she gets a question wrong. Uh the question is who is the killer from from Stab? And she's all proud of herself. Um, I also just love. I just, I just find her such like a realistic character. Like how much she says "fuck," and like it's just like <laughs> these are how kids talk. I'm sorry. She talked like a real person to me. But she gets a question wrong. She's very cocky. She thinks the killer is. Uh, she says it's just Billy, right? Or yeah, she- and it's it's Billy and Stu. Yeah. I this is the moment when I had that terrible fear that uh, they kept increasing that Stu was going to be the killer um in in scream in five cream because like it's been you know rumored forever like slash like fans wanted to happen that like students actually die which is he he had a television dropped in his head and very clearly died but yeah i don't i guess like you could say he somehow survived that and no one knew um it's such a shame they can't bring lillard back because he would fucking kill it in one of these and you know what (laughs) they may find a way for one they find a way i don't know i mean kirby lives so yeah, Kirby Lives is something we'll get to in a bit. I want to keep going through this. Sorry to if you guys are annoyed by this, but there's so much <laughs> to talk about. I love this movie. So she gets a question wrong. Ghostface breaks in, attacks her. Notably, very fucking brutal. She gets... Ghostface uh, steps on her leg when she falls and like breaks her, I don't know, ankle. Um, and then she's, he stabs at her and she puts up her hand to stop it and the knife goes right through her fucking hand. It's just immediately announcing itself as super brutal. And uh, she ends up surviving that scene. Uh, we cut to... And Jesse rolls his eyes. More characters! <laughs> can't handle this. I'm just kidding. Um, we meet Tara's older sister, Sam Carpenter, and uh, her boyfriend, Richie, as they get a call from Wes Hicks who is um, Sheriff Hicks or Deputy Hicks from Scream 4's son. Um, Now Sheriff. Now Sheriff. So she gets a call from Wes Hicks, who is like Tara's ex-boyfriend, saying, hey, your sister was attacked. Come back to town. So this is now Sam returning to Woodsboro with her boyfriend, Richie, to visit Tara at the hospital, who survived the attack. Meanwhile, Sheriff Hicks gathers the rest of their friend group, which includes Amber, played by Mikey Madison from 
from I know her from Better Things on FX. With that's what I think mean, most people know her from, right? I mean, not I, most people. She's not. It's not a very popular show. Yeah, with like that the was, mainstream, but yes, that was what I was saying it for because I don't feel like a lot of people know what it is, and I think you should watch it. She's wonderful. Pamela Adlon's wonderful. Um, she's also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and has a very similar fate there. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um. So Amber, twin siblings Chad and Mindy Meeks Martin, that is uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s kid and Jasmine Savoy Brown and Liz McKenzie, who is too boring to even remember, which is kind of her trait in the movie. Um, shortly afterwards, um, Liv's summer fling, Vince Schrader, Schneider or whatever, uh, is, sh- like, is murdered by Ghostface outside a bar and you're left wondering, like, why is this guy murdered eventually? But, but most importantly, while Red Right Hand is playing. Yes, Nick Cave's Red Right Hand, which has been played in every single Scream movie. Not back. Scream 4. Oh, is that right? That's the worst thing about Scream 4. They, I didn't never, play, play, they never play Red I, Right Hand. And uh, I was like, they got to fucking play it in uh, the new Scream. And they do. And it's great. So, well, yeah. Um, I would say, then, I would say, I will say, like, as someone who also likes Kyle Gallner as an actor, like, I will say Vince is probably another one of those like aspects of the movie that I feel like could have used a little. Like, I don't need like Vince is under underwritten or something. I mean, it's just, it, well, it's, just, it's, just, it's kind of like a weird little thing of like it's another know, person to get killed. Well, but, yeah, but also like the death is so fast that like I love even, I love that about it. I was just gonna say like, I, I had forgotten what it was honestly, which I guess doesn't speak well to it. But well, no, I, I mean I don't I don't mind the like the quick knife to the jugular. I think is like is great and like I like the brutality and the speed of it. But my point is that like we get neither character development. We don't really know who he is. He's kind of like a cartoonish like. He's an archetype of a bad guy who right. wants to sleep with this And guy. so, like, I just feel like it's not that that part felt a little bit like half assed. And also, yeah. like, then it's like, by the way, he's Stu's nephew, which, like, sure. Yes. Um, but not like enough to, it's such a brief moment that, like, doesn't really work. Well, maybe it helps much, them maybe. when they're like doing the scene where they're figuring out what happened. They have to find out the connections. Oh, they're, they're killing uh, relatives of legacy right. characters. So, right. Yes, I will agree. I will give you that. I'll give you that. Did, point. I, did I did I tell you my theory of who the killer was? I think I mentioned I thought the killer was going to be Martha, right? No. My big my big theory about this movie when I realized it was like children of like relatives of scream characters, uh, which came out I think a few months ago. I know you were avoiding like all spoilers, so I don't know yeah, if you knew. I didn't know anything. Yeah, that's part, um, part of why I loved it. I became convinced that Heather Matarazzo was going to be the killer in Scream. Well, wouldn't that have fucking rocked? It would have, but it didn't happen. There's still Scream 6, which they'll probably call, like, Scream Again, or I don't know. Something screams. Screams. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that guy gets killed. We'll eventually find out he's related to Stu Mocker. Uh, and then Sam encounters Goatface in the hospital cafeteria, uh, but survives. And then I'm pretty sure that's when we see Sam have a for the first time, a hallucination like vision of it's officially like a force ghost of Billy Loomis. And we find out she soon will disclose to Tara that she like read her mom's diary and figured out that her dad isn't her real dad and that her mom had an affair in high school with (gasps) Billy Loomis. And she is the daughter of Billy Loomis, the serial killer. And that's why she left town. She was so scared. She wasn't allowed to tell her sister, her mom. Well, but also because she made her dad leave. Yeah, her she caused her dad to leave when she when she was ex, you know exploding at her mom over this revelation. 
Uh, she says that her dad walked in and overheard it and it wasn't, you know, he had never known that either. So he bounced and she felt responsible for the wrecking her family. So she got into drugs and all this stuff and left town, leaving Tara to like, you know, estrange from her sister for five years. Um, and Tara gets really pissed at first about this, but I don't know if that's really relevant. Uh, we, should, we should just touch on like the, the Billy stuff. Jesse, like, I don't know how much you felt like this like i think we all kind of felt like it was a weak point when we first saw it i yeah. feel like it it's it's not grown on me so much as like i accept it and i think had the cgi been better i would have minded it less honestly i actually didn't mind it much even the first thing <laughs> like, so, of all so the really things just, uh, brandon and i are the ones who don't like it then yeah well, I, I, didn't, I didn't dislike it i thought it was sort of uh i mean like it's i, I think brett you're you're right you're like that in that it's sort of cheesy and it's in a way that's sort of intentional or sort of like it makes sense for it to be cheap the way it makes it that it's cheesy sort of makes sense and i was fine with it i also i think part of it weirdly is this roundabout thing of having gone from like rolling my eyes at skeet Ulrich in the moment when i was a teenager watching movies with skeet Ulrich um, as an obvious johnny depp clone to really enjoying him on riverdale of all things a terrible <laughs> program that nobody should watch but i have seen a lot of and he's so good on it, though, Ulrich. He's very, he has like a kind of, he really, one of the actors who sort of grew into his, you know, uh, like as a teen idol, no thank you. But as like a sort of an older guy who's sort of a, a former a former hot stuff, he has a kind of gravitas that, of course, no one else in Riverdale can. I mean, Luke Perry was a similar thing in that show where the two of them really had like a kind of directness and sort of uh, that I found like touching and interesting in a way that, that the young actors as attractive as they all are, uh, are do not have at, at all and maybe in 20 years they'll all get to be on shows where they are, have gravitas so anyway even though Skullrick is not really giving much of a performance in here and, and usually say it's it's CG to look younger because he has, did not his character died uh, I find I was kind of happy to see him in a weird way and thought it, and yeah. I didn't the CGI didn't even really I don't know it's a reflection it's like a vision she's seen in mirrors yeah. I didn't I, I didn't, it, I didn't it have a problem with it. larger than it actually is like yeah. it's very brief and then it comes back and I'll that's kind but of I think it would bother me less if I were watching it on TV than on a big screen we were sitting pretty close yeah and silly to me I think if it were like on TV I'd be like this is fine here's I mean like one here's one aspect that makes me appreciate it more and I'll give you the second one when we get to the end. But I rewatched the original Scream, and there's that scene where Billy and Sydney have sex. Uh, and right before she says, um, I feel like the bad seed or something. Like she's worrying that she's going to turn out like her mother. And Billy says, Yeah, like uh, Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs having flashbacks of her dead father. And like 25 years later, now Billy's daughter is having those visions of Billy. So like I think that's I think these guys love Scream and I think that's an intentional. Yeah, and also Scream Three has Sydney seeing her mom repeatedly, so yeah. it's not like it's outside of you know. Totally. Maureen Prescott was was you know prominently featured in Scream Three, almost to a fault, some might yeah. say. So I'll get back at the end about why the the Billy stuff doesn't bother me too much. Uh, but the next day, Sam and Richie then go out to recruit uh, Dewey in like classic legacy sequel shit. They're going out to get the legacy character. Uh, Dewey's been in a bad place since his divorce from Gail. We see it. And it's depressing as shit. And I'm, Brett was moved and crying, probably. Um, Dewey contacts Sydney and Gail, letting them know. And then, you know, he shows up at Mindy and Chad's home where uh, he reunites with Martha Meeks. Heather Matarazzo does appear. She is not a killer yet that we know of. But she is the mother of the twins, Jasmine Savoy Brown and uh, what is it? Mason Gooding. 
Chad and Mindy, and we get to see uh, the Randy Meeks Memorial Home Theater at their house. I love that. I love that so much. I love that so much. And I texted my buddy Mike Scollins, who's a huge fan of Scream. I was like, when you watch it, Mike, look out for the prop that I want. And the prop that I want is the Stab Blu-ray box set. (laughs) They bust out and watch the bonus features of as a means of telling everybody about like what happened in Woodsboro. And I love that detail so much. It's only, I mean, Mike didn't even notice it. He said he noticed like she's holding up the Blu-ray copy, obviously, but there's a whole box set behind them with all of them in there. And I, I would like that if anyone's listening, who could get me that? I would, I would like. Did any of you, did either of you have the scream three, scream trilogy DVD set that was released? I did. And I have the Blu-ray shittier one because i had i don't know where it is now but i had the screen three original trilogy box set one of the special features was a trailer for stab three i believe or maybe it was stab four it was a trailer for one of them and it was made for like five bucks it's one of the it's one of the most embarrassing like promotional (laughs) materials i've ever seen like it's it's like shot on video it just looks like shit it's not it's like random people none of the actors who were actually would have been in the stab movies um like wandering around being like there's a killer on the loose it's really really bad but um i don't know i thought about that because in terms of like special features on uh screen movies i i've never been able to shake the uh terrible stab trailer uh in this trilogy box but they used to put all that random shit on like on dvds and like you know some of it was good and some of it was just like there because they had to have a certain number of features yeah right so anyway it's next yeah, so this scene that um, Jesse says, I think this is when he got more interested because they're, you know, they're all scheming. They're all getting together. Uh, everyone's like, you're the killer. And when Richie says Dewey's the killer and Dewey's like, why would I be the killer? He says, you got stabbed a billion times, got dumped by your famous wife and crawled into a bottle. I think it's safe to say you're on the suspect list. And Dewey goes, well, maybe you're the killer because that cut deep. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very funny. It's very funny. That was very funny, yeah. It's very funny. Um, so I love that scene. And then we get the whole like Randy Meeks presentation about um, sequels. And I'm trying to find the quotes, but I don't think they're on. I thought I saw them on IMDb already, but I um, I lost them. But what is what is uh, Miss Mindy Meeks talk about? Who remembers? Well, she she talks about. Uh, I mean, it's 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 kind of ambiguous that whether she's you know sort of endorsing these views or explaining them to the normie the normies who don't. After all, like some of these characters are not as online as she is, or not as um, movie nerdy as he, she is. But she's talking about doing sequels that kind of dishonor the original. And again, that's where my original you know, my in, the, in, in very much in that moment and not borne out by the rest of the movie was my reaction was like, oh no, they're sort of conflating the idea of doing too many sequels and being out of ideas uh, with the idea of, uh, you know, and, and therefore sort of cheapening the original and then sort of mixing that with the, well, you can't do a sequel that changes things or or, or is different in any way because, you know, we're, we're like Ryan Johnson did with uh, Stab Episode 8. Um that not being subtle at all uh the knives out guys they call him in the um in the in the scene yeah isn't uh, that the one the knives out guy made they said yeah, yeah. And like in her speech decrying the reason like she so she says oh my god the killer's making a requel and they go ruts a requel and <laughs> it's like requel means legacy sequel or blah blah, blah. and the example uh, yeah she's like you can't just make 
uh, a remake anymore. And the 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 ones she lists that were like failures are Child's Play, Flatliners, and Black Christmas. <laughs> I think are three great examples of straight remakes or whatever that didn't work. And then she starts talking about legacy sequels. She mentions Halloween. She mentions Saw, which felt like a weird pull to me. Does Saw have a legacy sequel? Wasn't that, I mean, sort of. I mean, isn't that what... I wouldn't call Spiral that, I guess. I mean, no, it's not. I think that's a... I think that's a weird bone to pick I have with like a. Well, it's 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 the something they kind of get into that this is a problem in Scream Three too, where they start to like like the rules of the trilogy. For examples of trilogies, um, we have like two. Sorry, <laughs> you know, like yeah. in this case, it's like oh, the the horror remake cool, uh, Halloween, and not that many really. I mean, like there are there. You know, she she's mentioned, really talking she about like Star Wars, right, and she mentioned, she mentioned Star, Wars. Star Wars directly. And there's she lots of Star Wars after she, yeah, she lists a bunch that are legacy, including Halloween, which is like the best example, probably. Um, the best and the worst, yes. Um, and there's also, I love this about that scene is there's also a joke because Wes makes a joke about being scared, and then she makes a joke about, oh, don't worry, you're not, you're like, you're a character from Scream 4, no one liked that one, <laughs> essentially. So, like, there's something to this movie. I think there's another layer that I appreciate where it's like this one, it feels like for the first time, like the legacy characters, at least that they, they all know that they're in a movie. And I think that's like an interesting wrinkle that is new this time. Like Sydney, you really get the sense that she knows she's in a movie. And that's like another le level that I clued into the second time. And I think to the degree, maybe other characters do too. Um, and I know that's always been like a teasy thing, but like, I don't know. There's another layer to it is all I'm saying. Um, so there's that scene we've talked about that the, you know, what they think is happening. They prophesize that they're making a remake or a, a remake wool, which a uh, legacy sequel, which is, you know, every, they, they figure out that that guy Vince was murdered by Ghostface was related to Stu. So they're like, Oh my God, the Ghostface is going after relatives of current, uh, people and at this point everybody knows about Billy Loomis and Sam mm, not yet right I don't remember uh, which I know I don't think they I don't think yeah. they know Probably they don't know yet. okay so sometime later ghost oh yeah then we get the ghost face murders uh, Sheriff Judy and West scene which is to me a top three scream scene probably in all the movies I think it's fantastic it actually is scary uh, something about the ghost face in the broad daylight and how bloody and brutal that murder is the like as I talked about earlier the tension of that the fake outs of that scene I just think it's all perfect and it ends with both of them dead um, at the hospital Tara finds another uh, the cop that's watching her dead and then Richie shows up of course and she is attacked by Ghostface. Uh, she and Richie are both attacked by Ghostface, who is stopped by Dewey when he arrives and this broke my heart Spoiler alert's coming, of course. This whole thing's a spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> this is a giant, yeah, this is a giant spoiler alert. But, like, the audience went nuts when Dewey stopped Ghostface at that scene, and it broke my heart. I was like, oh, no. They don't know what's about to happen. Uh, but basically, they're about to escape. Sam, Tara, and Richie escape, but Dewey stays because he goes, oh, shit. I didn't shoot him in the head. You got to shoot him in the head. And he goes back, is about to do it, and his fucking phone rings, and he, like, looks at it for a second. And then, of course, Ghostface pounces and just absolutely eviscerates him and it's really gross and it's really hard to watch and his phone was ringing guess who was calling it's gail and you see gail's bringing face on his phone as his blood is all over it and he's dying 
and it's just harrowing and the killer's like it's a pleasure to kill you and um you it's know an honor. it's an honor it's an honor yes um and that that's it ghostface kills dewey it's real dewey dies and i gotta say I think that happened in Scream 2, is it, where they killed Randy and everyone was like, wow, anything could happen now. Like that, you know, that's the akin to that here. Like Dewey dying means anything could happen. Nobody's. Well, I mean, yeah. And I think like watching it, first of all, I assume Dewey was going to die for a variety of reasons plot wise. But, um, you know, I think he like I my frustration with the character had been that nothing had changed with him and that like he had nowhere else to go. And so like. I, I, not that I wanted him to die because it was very sad, but like felt like he needed to die uh, for the plot and for the series. And I also feel like, as with Randy, it raises the stakes of feeling like, oh, we don't have these characters who are unkillable. We have characters who like you can any of them can die. Um, so then, at the end of the movie, when they say that killing Dewey was like to raise the stakes, I appreciated that because I felt like that was uh, true to my experience watching it. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, where was I in the reading of the description? So Sydney, of course, now is lured to Woodsboro after telling Dewey she would never step foot there again. But his death brings her there. And of course, Gail's already there. We haven't mentioned that. Um, uh, so she asked Sam to help tag. Uh, Sydney asked Sam to help take down the killer, but she declines. At this point, everyone know, like people know that she's Billy's daughter. At least Sydney does. Um, I'm pretty sure they do in that scene before too, but I I don't remember even though I saw it twice. Sorry, everybody, don't be mad. Um, Sam, Tara, and Richie escape. I already said that. Uh, sorry. Um, and uh, Sam declines. Basically, Sam decides that she and her sister Tara and Richie are gonna get the fuck out of Woodsboro, do the thing that like nobody would do in a scream sequel. They're actually gonna leave. And Sydney understands that, but of course she actually put a tracker on their car. So she didn't really just let Well, it. she also she doesn't really understand that. She's like, it's not you're not gonna you can't leave. You have to like have a showdown. Yeah, but she has that in that moment where it's like, okay, good luck. And then you think right. like, but oh, I, okay. But yeah, it's a lie. <laughs> but I think that like that to your point that she knows she's in a movie, like for Sydney to Sydney obviously she'd be like, get the fuck out, like run, and instead is like you have to be here because like you have to face the killer is like a very contrived sort of like you know the whole thing it's is like really, yeah right. right and i think like the best explanation of that is like she gets the formula to this on some subconscious level at least and understands that like you just can't have the like new main characters running away like they have to face off with with those fits right so you think they're leaving but of course tara doesn't have her inhaler a thing that you know she you know it's classic act one shit that you see it and of course it's going to come back in a big way in act three uh she needs her inhaler she doesn't have one the only one is at amber's house um so richie reluctantly takes them to amber's house riding back into woodsboro after just leaving and of course they're having a party because it's the third act of a scream movie and you have to have a party and the party is in progress to honor wes's memory who just died and they're just drinking heavily and partying of course um uh, so as they show up, right? Uh, the party's in progress. Chad goes outside after. Oh, basically, Chad's about to have sex with his girlfriend for the first time. Who has been, you know, they're joking the whole movie that he's a, that you know she's had, they haven't had sex yet, and then she's about to be interested in having sex with him, and she asks him to, and he says, not to like ruin the moment or anything, but I don't know you're not the killer yet, so I can't do that. 
And it's a very funny scene, which leads to her like leaving. And then him playing this a, a good scene where Ghostface is like fucking with him via her phone. There's this something earlier about he wants her to put tracking on her phone on, and then she does. And so basically, you know that he's getting lured to his death by Ghostface. And it's a pretty good scene. I like the scene where he is stalked by Ghostface on the app. And he has to like try and uh, turn it off, but his fucking hands are bloody because it's he was great, great screen, scream style touch. I, the sort of the humor, like the humor, the, the logistics humor of that is very good. I like that he's he as a character. I know we said he's a little bit underdeveloped. He's not one of the more memorable kids. Like obviously, Jasmine Savoy Brown gets like much better stuff to do, but I appreciate that he kind of gets to be both like a jock and a Randy type because he's Randy's. Uh, nephew so he gets like that uh, like he's smart enough to tell this girl that like he's not going to sleep with her because like she could be the killer like he sort of picked up on Mindy's like uh, you know like more savvy like anyone can be the killer stuff and I thought that was great because he could just kind of be a dumb jock but he has like a bit of Randy in him yeah and the way the killer uh, runs out of the shed and just like sprints towards him and kills him it's so good I, I love. I does think not actually kill him. Uh, th- th- he does. He does kill him. No, he's no, alive. no, he just he's alive at the end. He gives the thumbs. They give each other oh, thumbs that's up. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Oh, you're killing characters who didn't even die. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's interesting. This movie. This this movie. For though it does kill. I mean, I, I give this credit. Give this movie some credit too, because as much as I kind of felt like okay, they're introducing a lot of characters just for the sake of getting killed. The main there are a couple of the kids do get killed but probably like a smaller percentage than you would assume. And that the two, two of the biggest deaths are characters who are pre-existing ones, Dewey and, and Sheriff Judy. And uh, several characters end up living, <laughs> living through, not only does the, the girl at the beginning live in a flouting scream convention, but yeah, um, the, the uh, Jasmine Subway yeah. brother, uh, Brown's brother lives. And also, uh, and she lives. Uh, yeah, she, apparently yeah, she lives. In- in another cut, she died, and they. Okay. I'm well, sure they, I'm glad they changed their mind on that. But I think like yeah. one thing that kind of addresses that is has sort of bothered me about some of the uh, scream sequels, especially like there are certainly injuries that one cannot survive, like Casey's death in Scream. Oh, for sure. But like Scream Three, when Jenny McCarthy's like stabbed once and then she dies, or even in Scream Two, when like Sarah Michelle Gellar is stabbed once and then thrown off the balcony, but it's not that high up, and you're just kind of like someone could survive that, and I feel like. This, like, you know, a lot of people would be obviously injured badly, but, like, you can't, you know, unless you're, like, really going for, like, the heart or the neck or the femoral artery, I guess, not to, like, sound too creepy and knowing the points to hit. But, like, I just I just feel like, you know, I thought it's, it's actually realistic that a lot of people would survive this sort of thing and just be, like, kind of fucked up afterwards. And yeah, so, yeah, I like, really like Jenna Ortega, like, having increasingly difficult time escaping oh, the killer because she keeps yeah. getting fucking stabbed. I forgot to mention the one of the best scenes in the movie, another top tier scream scene. It's her in the hospital. Or I guess I did mention it in my rant probably. She's got the stabbed hand and the hurt foot and she's in a wheelchair and she's just every fucking move of the wheelchair as an audience member, you're like in pain watching her do that. It is really intense. Um and that happened during the hospital scene. Uh so as you, uh Chad is left for dead. He's not dead. Um, which is the edit I will make. <laughs> um, sorry, I lost my place and I'm stalling now. Um, nah, la, 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 back at the house. The trio, okay. So the trio walk inside, um, and Amber calls off the party. The trio being Sam, Richie, and Tara. Um, 
Liv returns and Mindy is suspicious about her because Chad went out looking for her. They argue. There's a weird scene where like Liv threatens Mindy and like, like you think, you know, are you scared of me? You think I'm the killer? And she's like, maybe I do now, but it's just, she's just being a bitch. Uh, Amber takes Tara to get uh, her inhaler and Richie goes down to the basement to get more beer. Oh God, such a great scene with him joking, saying he'll be right back. And they both laugh at each other. Uh, I really like that. But that, reminds me that we forgot the scene I, I forgot to mention the scene where amber goes down to the basement because that happens first amber goes down to the basement to get beer and mindy follows her down and be like dude you should have asked me to come down here with you that's sketchy um and then amber's like you're scared I, I could be the killer and they they fuck around with each other too it's a fun scene i like it and of course it's another i haven't even mentioned how much of this movie is like recreating stuff from the original scream and like this is another one of those um god keep losing my fucking play pretty close to the we're pretty close yeah. to the reveal now of the killer yes we're getting to the reveal um so they say he'll be right back to which they both laugh as it's almost certain death by saying that sydney and gail are following the tracker and are both stunned when they realize where they're going they're going to Stu mocker's old house this is where it, amber lives in Stu mocker's old house that's a big reveal as well and i don't think you realize it for a little bit more a few more minutes probably but the way the description's written it just says it uh back at the house mindy is still watching stab specifically the scene where randy's watching halloween unaware the killer is behind him this is a scene i can only describe as like when you're looking in a mirror in the mirror and it just keeps reflecting back and forth it's like it's such it's too me it's meta overload so we're watching her watching you know this scene it's very iconic you know what's going to happen ghostface shows up um of course at the same time as the movie happens uh sam shows up and scares the killer away and assists mindy who is not dead however amber and tara return and amber accuses sam of being the killer so this is the moment where like everyone comes together and they're all screaming at each other who's in the circle it's tara uh tara sam richie and live and, and amber <laughs> and amber and everyone's yelling uh, saying who the killer is and Liv's like i'm not the killer and then amber goes i know or something and pulls out a gun and just fucking shoots her the audience goes wild and we find out that amber is at least one of the killers um and then chaos unfolds everyone splits up sydney and gail arrive and hear screaming which they say that sounds about right pretty funny uh, Sydney grabs her gun and gives one to Gail. They approach the house. Amber comes out running, faking that she was stabbed. They don't buy it, but Amber still gets a shot off, shoots Gail. Gail uh, sits outside, fighting for her life. Sydney goes inside. In the basement, Richie and Sam are hiding, and Richie reveals that he thinks Tara may be the killer. He's talking to Sam, saying, You know, you guys have been estranged for so long. I wouldn't trust her. And, you know, she's looking at him, and you can't tell if she trusts him or is you know, losing her trust for her sister. It's this whole thing that you're not sure of. I kind of like bought this at the time, which doesn't make, make any sense really, because like, it's not really clear how uh, Tara would be the killer in any capacity. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I fell for it briefly. I was like, sure. Yeah. In the heat her. of the moment, like yeah, she might, I did too. Uh, but Sydney walks into the house and like hilariously just starts like shooting closed doors, which I love. Like, just not fucking around at all. Just going in and shooting stuff. And actually, um, uh, she gets she a call. She, she shoots Richie in the leg. She does. She's about to. But I think before that, she gets a call. Um, and she's, like, talking to him as she's trying to find him. And then he hangs. She hangs up on him. And then she, yeah, opens the door and shoots Richie, 
who's hiding. And she's like, well, you know, why are you hiding? Is it because you're shooting people? And then Ghostface attacks. So it's not Richie Ghostface attacking, attacking her. Uh, Ghostface attacks, stabs Richie, throws him and Sydney over the banister. Sydney fights Ghostface as Richie makes his way down the stairs to grab the gun to finish Ghostface off. Samantha arrives and Richie is relieved to find out she's still alive. Just kidding. He's the killer. He stabs her and twists the fucking knife. And it's really horrible. And he reveals himself to be the second killer. The ghost face unmasks himself, so it's the other one's Amber, obviously. And they, the duo now takes Sydney and Samantha to the kitchen, just as Billy and Stu did. Same kitchen. Uh, Amber brings Gail in, and she and Richie reveal that they met at a sta- on a stab subreddit <laughs> after they both shared their dislike about Stab Eight, which is the you know the scream moniker for the Last Jedi. <laughs> um, Amber reveals she knew all about Sam's connection to Billy. And uh, she, she explains that away by saying their mom's a drunk and everyone in town, you know, she, she flaps her mouth so she, everyone would know. Uh, and so she reveals uh, she knew about all about that connection to Billy and used that as a basis for their new movie in which Sam would be the killer seeking justice for her father. Um, so their whole big plan, um, well, Amber goes to grab Tara so they can finish her off together. However, it's revealed at that point that Sam did untie her and Tara taunts them with a phone call. Amber looks for Tara, who jumps out and attacks her. Samantha then fights Richie as Amber returns to the kitchen where Sydney and Gail gang up on her. Amber begs for her life. Um, and of course, it's, she's full of shit. And uh, Amber taunts Gail about killing Dewey. And then Sydney like, allows uh, Gail to take the shot and kill Amber, who falls on a stove that's on and sets, is set on fire. Uh, meanwhile, in the entry hall, Sam is fighting Richie, who reveals he knew about her all along and that Dewey was right. You should have never trusted a love interest. I thought that was hilarious, too. I was like, God. I thought it was hilarious, but then I was looking back and I was like, that really was only true in Scream. And the never trust a love interest, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right? Like, I know that there was yeah, that moment. It's all about Scream. That's what, no, you know. I know, but I thought it was funny because it was like, as if it was a pattern. But then I was like, no, in Scream 2, you only think it's Jerry O'Connell briefly, but yeah. it's not. And then it's never a love interest again. Yeah. Well, That's true. Uh, in the entry hall, they're fighting, blah, blah. Sam spots another Billy hallucination in the mirror. This was a little much for me. And like, uh, she tells, she basically let like go the force ghost. Billy shows her where a knife is kind of, and she grabs it and um, uses it to kill him and says, you know, don't, she gives her new rule, which is don't fuck with the daughter of a serial killer or something and stabs him through the mouth and then over and over and over and over and over again. And then he asks for his ending or like, you fucked up my ending. And she says, here it comes, slits his throat, killing him. And Sydney warns her that killers always come back. So Samantha shoots him three times. And then a burnt Amber comes running at them from the kitchen, just like she did in once upon a time in Hollywood and gets shot through the head, finally killing her. Um, outside we see Tara, Mindy, and a still alive Chad are taken to a hospital and Sam thanks Gail and Sydney for their help before leaving with Tara. Gail and Sydney mourn Dewey, uh, Dewey and Gail states that she won't be writing about the killers as they deserve to die in anonymity. Instead, she'll write a touching tribute about the sheriff of the town and what a good man he was. Um, and that's the best movie I've ever seen. That's how it ends. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. But I like I like that you go off of the Wikipedia plot summaries, which are totally incoherent. Which is like sound like the weirdest fucking movie. <laughs> I, I actually switched to like scream.fandom halfway through. It got really way more intricately detailed. Like the last I, um, Yeah, I think like I, I do think I want to talk that, about the killer reveal in a bit uh, for a second. Yeah. Well, um I've been writing something about those killers 
for Vulture, which will be out um, sometime in the next couple days. I don't think it'll be out by the time this is this will this is going out midnight. So it won't it won't be out yet. But um, I've been kind of revisiting all the Scream Killers, and I do think that like I don't know Amber and Richie rank pretty highly for me. I think that yeah. um, people were saying it Amber wasn't a surprise. Got, Amber's got the drooling from her mouth like Stumacher attempt going on. She's like yeah, really going. I, I just I I actually first of all like. I did feel surprised by them, especially by Richie. I don't think it was obvious. And I think that like beyond that, like, because it's like, as Jesse said, these are kind of all new characters. It doesn't really matter who the killer is in some sense. Like the motivation is like extremely important. And I think like, this is a better motivation than like, I don't know. I, I, I think my favorite is still scream four because I think the stated motivation of fame is like whatever. But I think the motivation of like, I'm tired of being this famous family and not being the famous one is much more interesting. Yeah, I don't need friends. I need fans. That movie's awesome. But I think there's like a subtext there that actually makes it more interesting of like being the nepotism hire. Yeah. Um, which obviously Jack Quaid is also. But um, I, I, I just think that like they did a great job of like showing the sort of like toxic fandom. But like, I don't know. It was, it, it felt very true to the moment. And also like, really silly because like obviously it's an over-the-top depiction of uh toxic fans who are willing to like slaughter a bunch of innocent people to make a better movie um yeah i don't know i thought it really well, yeah i think i think what's kind of the key to it for me that makes it i wouldn't say more nuanced because it's very broad but it's uh what made it kind of smart and, and funny and very and did feel weirdly true to life in a way that some of the other ones kind of felt like you know, two and three, the the state killer stated motivations didn't didn't feel more you know kind of screen writerly, and this one felt like oh, this is actually bringing it back to having some more commentary. Is that to me, it felt so crucial that they're doing all this to inspire the stab sequel they want, which yes. is something that is you know involves the legacy characters in just the right way. But even then, they're not; they can't engineer in real out of real life what they even want to see in the stab sequel so what they have to do is kill a bunch of people and then like you know shift the blame to someone else in order for the sequel to happen properly like they they it's almost you know they the thing this thing they have in their head about what they want the uh, this next stab to be is is so rigid that it requires a murder plot that like can't even just be allowed to unfold as it, as it does in real life. Like they don't want to see the movie based on what there act is actually happening. They want to see the movie based on like the uh, kind of engineered thing that their murder plot would bring about. And I would be completely unsatisfied to see a movie even based on themselves. They don't even want to see the movie based on themselves. They just, it's just this idea that they have of what stab should be. And that, the only way to get that is their murderous rage. Um, and that is so, it's I mean, that's brilliant. just YouTube. That's like, it's yeah, that's, that's, that's red letter media. That's whatever, you know, that's like, it's that's film fails channel in the, <laughs> the movie. And I think yeah. the people the dead meat podcast are on it or something. Yeah. The guy next yeah. to me went, <gasps> as, if, <laughs> as if it was like the people he has a very intense parasocial relationship with. Like I do with all of you lovely listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th I did think that was very clever. 
And maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe I'm just being flattered because it's telling me what I agree with already about how horrible fans are and and like that kind of culture that sprung up. And part of me even wished they had gone a little harder on the YouTube stuff, which they kind of do as a sort of a throwaway joke um, and gotten really nasty about about how fucking useless most of those people are, Um, which would be, I think, is meaner than the movie really intends to be. but I did. I did think that was very clever. And also, I don't know if you guys caught that Ryan Johnson got a special thanks in, yes. the, uh, in the credits. So I, I guess I, I would be fascinated to know. I'm sure someone will ask them at some point if they if the special thanks was because they cleared it with him or if bad. they yeah. Yeah, or, well, or was, they felt he bad. Was or... be, he was supposed to be in the movie. Oh really? They, they had there was some there's a cameo some sort of cameo was attempted and then didn't work out. Well, I don't put know this just... in your back pocket because we may have them on the New Flesh podcast. I have put in an ask and Paramount got back to me yesterday saying they'll get back to me. I'm trying oh, to get cool. both directors and both writers, nice. uh, which would be really fun. Um, anyway, Jesse just summed up why I think the killer's motivation is top tier and brilliant. There's something about the fact that you need to be extremely online to completely comprehend what's happening here. That adds to its charm for me. Like you really need to be, you need to know a lot of things about fandom and like the last Jedi and how people responded to it and how that led to the rise of Skywalker being so bad because they listen to those fans. Like you really need to be involved in the, you know, everyday onlineness of being a movie fan for this to hit as hard as it does, at least for me. That's, I think, you know, part of why I really love it, is that I am online enough to know what the fuck they're talking about. So they really are just speaking to me and people like me. These movies are all a product of their time. 2011, what was the what was happening since the last Scream movie? So to the last Scream movie, Scream 3 was 2000. Scream 4 was 2011. In that time, the what happened? Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, Platinum Dunes remakes, all that stuff happened. So, of course, 2011 Scream 4 is all about that type of shit. So, that's why, like, criticism of people being like, this one's too much like Scream 4. I'm just like, you fundamentally misunderstand what these movies are. They are a reflection of their, of, of horror on that, in that, in this current moment. So, Scream 2022, naturally, is about legacy sequels and toxic fandom. And I think it's brilliant that the killer's motivation is exactly what Jesse said. It's people who met on sub on a subreddit who think their version they know stab better than anybody, and they're they're and, and in order to make it happen, instead of like writing a script and getting it to Hollywood, getting it to Miramax or whatever, they're gonna commit real life murders. So because the best stab movies are all based on real life, right? The one they strayed from that, that's when they got bad. So they're going to will that into existence by committing murder. And like what fucking amazing commentary on toxic fandom this movie is. I just think it's like, I, I just am delighted with it. I, I want the reveal watching that, re- that the last, the third act with the crowd was just like so much fun. Watching the whole movie with the crowd was like the applause and the people were li- I think it's crazy that people say it's not scary because like I'm not one who gets like jumps or gets scared a lot. I just think that's it's not a fair criticism of a movie that has such brutal murders in it. I'm just like it is. It's a horror movie. Anyone who's like it's a comedy. I'm like, yes, Scream is inherently horror movies by way of comedy. You know what I mean? So like people have deranged reactions to this movie. (laughs) 
Not you, Jesse. Truly. I think I think it's I think it's scarier than like than Scream three and four than the most of them yeah i I thought i I mean like i think it's up there with like scream and scream 2 and having certain moments that are really horrifying where like you know it's maybe it's not like i don't know maybe it's not as terrifying like i don't think anything's ever gonna be as scary as the opening of scream which like it's kind of impossible to top but i think like it comes close in terms of like of the scream 2 opening of like it's really fucked up and like upsetting and scary in that way versus like you know jump scary well it's it's thing i that's interesting because i think of scream in general the first one and the rest of them again pretty much all of which i like save you know a large chunk of four um as being first of all great audience movies yes and i I, as much as i was happy to see this at a press screening where there were not enough people for it to be you know a big yeah it was a bummer a covid situation but we were were reacting yeah yeah no i was i was i was that was like my mini version i was like well i'm seeing it with two other people who really like scream and i can like vibing off that reaction it's not as fun as a full house but it's also much less dangerous than a full house um so uh but I was bummed to not, you know, see it with the crowd because I had forgotten because Scream 4, I feel like I saw it just an odd time or something where it was not, or just the crowd wasn't that into it. But 2 and 3, I remember especially. Um, I think I mentioned this on my, when my nostalgic ramblings of the other episodes we did. 2 and 3, I had a great time with both of them in large part because I saw them like opening night and the crowd was into it. And it was just like, yeah, this is an audience movie. People in a good way, not in the, you know, not for the, the fans, not the critics kind of way that this yeah. movie's making fun of. It's a, it, it plays the audience really well. I don't think any of these movies are like really bone deep, terrifying ex- ex- expressions of dread. Like I think, you know, and I think Lewis, you're right. The first scene in Scream is like, it never gets scarier than that. that that's a very scary scene. And that most of the other stuff, it's a little more, it is to me more jolts. And, but I don't think they're poorly executed. I think they're very good jolt. It's kind of the roller coaster kind of thing of like, it's yeah. not... You know, it, it, it's. I, I'm gonna sound like Jenna Ortega's character, but like it follows to me. Like really, talk to me about it. Follows. Yeah, ask me about it. Follows. That's that's me. That's me on the like, phone with Ghostface. Just follows, ask me about follows. that. Very yeah. scary. It's that movie is like kind of bone deep scary to me, or Blair Witch is like bone deep scary to me in a way that none of the screams are. But it's they're very effective in terms of suspense in the moment and and kind of in like juicing the crowd and doing you know mixing in fake outs with actual jumps and then like and then what happens is actually kind of upsetting or disturbing and i think this this one's very much in line with that these movies have never been i don't mean to sound like those weirdos who are like ghostbusters was never really a comedy but like but but because these obviously are horror movies but they aren't you know that they've always been sat satirical and they've always been like this movie, what's most interesting to me is that, like, thank God this movie has something new to say. Like, it it might not be the most original thought or anything, but, like, the fact that there's a new Scream movie that has, like, a coherent message or, you know, I just am so thrilled that it, it functions in every way the way that the original did. You know what I mean? And, like, in a 22, 2022 update version, which is, like, ostensibly what all these legacy sequels are trying to do, and this one, all it had to do to do it was to like poke fun at it while it did it. And just honestly, I just can't commend the filmmakers and the writers enough for pulling this off. I really think it's like a very impressive feat to make this movie as satisfying as it is for someone like me who's really, I don't know, I don't get hyped up about shit this much. Like I went from a four star reaction to a five star reaction after seeing it with the crowd. Maybe, maybe I'll settle in the middle and, yeah, and, and 4.5 like me down the line. We'll see. Um, 
I wanted to mention the CGI Billy Loomis stuff. So during that rant at the end, Richie or Amber, one of them says, um, one of them says, you know, the girl, uh, the illegitimate, the illegitimate daughter having visions of her dead serial killer dad. Like they say that as a, as like they're pitching their movie, you know, like, oh, this is our legacy sequel. We have to have the illegitimate daughter having visions of Billy Loomis. So by him saying that and him setting up that like, this is the movie they're trying to make. I fully accept scream, scream five, whatever you want to call it, giving me that in the movie as like a meta nod to, Hey, this is kind of the movie that Richie and Amber are making that you're watching. Isn't it Right, like just another layer of just another layer of brilliance for me. That is why scream is always going to be a top horror franchise for me. I'm, just so thrilled it exists. I want to read a couple blurbs from reviews that I like, which I like to do when I find good writing. I always like to read Walter Chaw's stuff, and sometimes I disagree aggressively, but this time uh, he, he gets it. So let me just read some parts that I really liked. Uh, Scream, 5 is acutely, uh, Scream 5 is acutely aware of the rules to the game, what's expected of a sequel in the tradition of previous entries. It honors, comments on, and challenges those expectations while celebrating slasher fandom, even as it clears... Even as it's clear that the fetishists among the fans have become dangerous in their loud and obnoxious impotence. Like any good Cassandra play, Scream 5 is about knowledge, the motive of the new killer or killers differs from the first four films, and that it's rooted in neither the desire for notoriety nor some voyeuristic kink. It's not vengeance, not legacy necessarily. It's misdirected anger at horror being taken over on one side by the Morlocks who want their nostalgia gratified like spoiled children and the other by elitists who use terms like elevated horror when they find themselves accidentally liking a picture in a devalued by them genre. Scream 5 has disdain for the two halves of that coin and the atrocities it portrays are the direct result of horror's gatekeepers. The picture's meta text becomes how the worst of the worst are now the fabricators of terror and pain, their power bestowed upon them by the masters of their objects of worship in exchange for a few pieces of silver. It's a smart picture, not just for how timely it is, but also because it makes sense that the franchise would evolve to the point of criticizing the impulse that keeps the cycle of atrocity alive. How slasher franchises and branding women for their sins of their mothers might have their root in the same psychological clay. Um, I'm skipping to another part of the review, but I really liked that bit about, you know, the movie doesn't... Do you guys think it has a coherent view on elevated horror good this uh... i don't know i think it's i think it's basically saying that both have a have a place i think like one of the things that i saw that someone criticized was that like scream is making fun of sort of the modern idea of like all horror is about trauma and like it has to be so not true but but like but scream has always been about trauma and like it's very much like part of it and so um i don't think it's actually making fun of that i don't think it's making fun of elevated horror i think if anything it's making fun of the way that like not making fun of but that's that's what i was saying about the generational divide is like the slasher genre has been sort of dead and attempts to resuscitate it have been you know a mixed bag and so i think like that that that's more of what's going on there with the character being like i don't like those kinds of movies um i did want to point out with like the reddit killers and everything that i feel like we didn't mention um and i agree with all of that commentary um, it's definitely notable that they are two white characters and that the other characters are black and Latina. And like, that is, um, it does seem like, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's not, it's both like subtle and not subtle because it's like, it's not remarked on at all, but it, you know, it's, it's certainly, no, you're right. It is subtle and not subtle. It was an intentional choice that like the surviving characters now are all, um, people of color and aside from Gail and Sydney and, 
you know, one of the main criticisms a lot of people have online, they say that they, they kind of, you know, talk about it in terms of like wokeness or whatever. But what they're really saying is like, these movies have too many female characters now. They have too many black characters now. Like that's what the, that's what the, the real complaint is. If you're looking like on those message boards, yeah, that's what it boils down to. The people and, hate. And so guy. and so, I think it was like a smart choice then to have two extremely white characters be the killers in this case. Um, it wouldn't have worked the same way if like it had been Mindy as like the stab fan who was doing it. Totally agree. Um, another blurb here from from Walter. Uh, he talks a lot about um, uh, Dewey and Gale, which I like. But uh, Scream 5 is on par with the original and perhaps just a half step back from the second. He thinks the second's the best one in the masterpiece, which I think Lewis agrees with. Um, I think, uh, no, I, I think I love Scream 2. I think Scream is the masterpiece. Okay. Gotcha. Scream. Uh, Scream 5 is on par with the original and perhaps just a half step back from the second in that it challenges how one approaches horror movies not as mythology but as meta text. It wonders about the increasingly diaphorous boundary between what an audience desires and what a film feels obliged to offer in response, taking the position that the way to sickness and death, spiritual as well as creative, is to make pandering nostalgia instead of art. Sam wonders at one point if all these people are dying because of some stupid fanfic, and Scream 5 answers that she is and that we all are. Uh, we're far along that downward spiral. This movie's so good. Fucking love that. Love that, Walter. Thank you. Um, in terms of box office, let's talk about it. Scream opened with a 30.6 over the three-day weekend, likely up to like 38.40, including tomorrow, which is Martin Luther King Day. Is that right? Yes, it is Martin uh, Luther King Day. I don't know if it, I think they're estimating. Yeah, that's less all I was day. trying to. Think. I didn't know what holiday? I, th- I think they're I looking for company holiday. Thirty-six. Thir- I think they're like thirty-five, thirty-six might be the estimate. For well, your boy here said on the podcast last week. I think I said twenty-five to thirty, but I was very wishy-washy on either what either end of it. And then after seeing it, I tweeted, "I think this movie's good enough, and will have good enough word of mouth to do a forty million dollar uh, holiday weekend." And I'm exactly there. It's going to be like two million off. So by uh, Price is Right rules, I would have lo- I would lose. But I and, still- had you, and had you made a bet with me, like I, I would have won. You would have won, and I would have I would have paid you gladly because we both would have won because the movie was great, and I'm happy it did well. Yeah. Um, Easter eggs. You already mentioned Kirby is alive. We find this out via a YouTube video on screen as Richie's talking, uh, watching the film fails video. Uh, Sydney is married to Mark, aka Patrick Dempsey from Scream Three. That's another Easter egg. What else did I want to say about Richie watching uh, something about Richie pretending like he's never seen Stab? Uh, just like that whole, I mean, before we know who he is, but like that idea of like a character of someone who like doesn't know it, but then like binges it on Netflix and then is the expert on it. Like, I think that was another level of character to make fun of that I that I enjoyed very much. Um, but yeah, it's everything about this movie i love i think every ghost face scene is memorable and interesting there's not a bad one in the bunch um i I do just find that lead performance a little stiff and weird and i don't know if it's because i think everyone else is just doing excellent work and she's just you know has the disservice of being like not that i don't know i don't know what it is she just isn't that fucking good in the movie i think she if you're watching it with the mind that Okay, I've been told this girl's not good. If you watch it that way, I'm pretty sure you'll agree. Like it's just <laughs> I doubt it, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I I I mean I don't I, it's not like I think it's this great performance that uh you know that is Jenny Ortega is like I I don't even know how to describe it. I've never seen a disparity in a scene between the two of them, like so like the the gap in 
quality of acting. I truly was kind of astonished during some scenes the second time. Just I'm like, astonished that you noticed any kind of <laughs> gaping disparity between these both fairly th- like thinly written but very likable and and like similar character. <laughs> I don't know. There's something. Like the, the pathos laden fucking Dewey stuff is so there's so much about this movie that works that I understand if you just don't like the characters or care about this oh, no, shit. And I, 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 li- I liked all the characters. I, I just thought I, I liked Melissa Barrera, like, especially like I, I was like, okay, I'm, I can like, I can, I, I had less of the feeling I had during scream four, where it was sort of like, Oh, you know what? She, yeah, I like Kirby, but what is she doing? That's like actually interesting. Not, I don't know. It's not really, I, you know, I like Hayden Pantier a lot uh, and it's fine, but no, Melissa Barrera, I thought like I, she connected with me in, in, in that she kind of stepped into Nev Campbell's part in terms of like, Oh, well, she's not really that concerned with movies. She's concerned with the actual world around her. Um, and because Sydney's not in this one as much, I felt like she c- capably took that up. And I don't know if, I, don't, I wonder if we're responding to different, I mean, maybe that's the different vibe between her and Jenna Ortega, who who does project a more sort of like cultural awareness in her character. <clears throat> but I, yeah, I don't know. I, she, she, her performance really worked for me. And I, it was a little bit of even, it's not quite, it's not this level, but like, a little bit of how I felt about like Force Awakens, where I was like, yeah, sure, I'm ha- happy to see like Han Solo or whatever. But like, what I really like about this movie is like Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver and John Boyega and, and, and Oscar Isaac. And as much as I thought that the supporting characters in this kind of felt like it was just a bunch of people dumped on me very quickly, I felt about, you know, the sister characters who were sort of your central people. I was like, oh yeah, I'm happy. Actually, surprised, surprised by how happy I am to watch a new screen movie about these people. Versus, I totally, yeah. I, I just wanted to jump on that because I feel like a criticism that I have heard as I've been trying to block out criticisms is like, <laughs> I was promised a screen movie with Sydney and Gale and Dewey, and they're not central characters, and I don't mind that at all. And I was like, I, I also was surprised. I feel like I thought I would care about that and the fact that I'm now like if they're going to make more screen movies which feels inevitable I think that they should just leave Sydney and Gail out of it for yeah totally time. totally um, but I think that like it, it proves itself and it proves that it works without them I I think that it would kind of be silly for Sydney to be there for more, longer it's to, to get her there is already a stretch yeah and why would she ever do it again like it's just it doesn't really make sense Gail being there is also a stretch but like you know, you kind of get the explanation of like her show asking yeah. it and she's and like, over, there's but... something about the stretchiness of all of it. And like the fact that we're watching someone try to make their movie and like the meta-ness of like, are we watching scream? Are we watching stab at nine? Like, I just love all of that. And I feel like they do that stuff better than a lot of the other scream sequels. Like, that's what I mean when I say this one is like the best since the original and that like it has, it's doing everything scream was doing down to like the commentary and like the i don't know i just think it really is where i stand after yabbering about it is still that i think it's the best sequel i think i have a problem saying screams like my favorite one just because i've talked about this before that i saw scary movies so many times before i saw scream that like it's hard to watch it now and like it just doesn't it doesn't doesn't hit me in the same way that it hits someone who grew up with it and as, as like an iconic thing and like it obviously is to me still but it's just like i don't know this one i love scream i love scream 2022 i hope you guys all do too uh we've got patreon episodes out this week not sure on what but you should get on there oh and we're on spotify we've always been on spotify but now you can give us 
five stars on Spotify. Uh, and they actually only let people who listen do it. So I love that. So if you're a listener on Spotify, I know there's at least a handful of you because you tweeted at me that your end of the year review with us in it. And we love to see it. Um, give us the old five stars. Give us the, get, pretend where you're watching your Brett watching Scream 5 for the second time <laughs> and give us five stars. That's right. <laughs> You couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, all right. Lewis Peitzman at Lewis Peitzman on Twitter. Jesse at Rock Marooned on Twitter. Anything to to plug or talk about before we get out of here two hours and 15 minutes later? Uh, look for my look, look for my Vulture uh, screen piece, which should be, up, as I said, shortly. Um, and I'm sure we'll piss some people off because it's about uh, the Scream series. And yes, I did get <laughs> Lewis's number one pick correctly. Uh <laughs> Jesse, any plugs? Uh, you can go to Polygon and read both my review and my like, little spoiler space right up about the ending and stuff like that. Um, but I'm honestly just check Lewis's piece sounds more interesting than, than what I <laughs> do. So check that out. Check out Lewis's piece. That's my yeah, plug. That's what I'd like to plug. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, thanks for indulging me, both of you and all you listeners. And uh, see you guys uh, in Scream 6 in 2033. Uh, 2033. 20, oh, man. What's gonna, oh, yeah. I guess that's the pace we're at at yeah. this point. <laughs> um we'll be back jesse and i with we're gonna do it we're gonna do a turkey slaughter which is 2021's uh most disappointing horror that we were excited for that disappointed us and we'll do a best of the year maybe they'll end up being one episode or two i don't know we're gonna record it sometime soon those will be next and then we're gonna tackle a new series and hopefully have some guests lined up but i gotta get some ducks in a row um stop seeing spider-man and go see, <laughs> and go see screen okay bye Death is not the end of the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. I was hoping you'd be back.